In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I'm so excited to get to be here speaking with you today on such a beautiful day. Uh, we are here with an incredible individual, Mr. Sebastian Fuyad. He's a product leader, a host, a writer, a musician, a husband, a father. I could go on and on about all these labels that he has. But I think it's important to note that he focuses on helping others reconnect with their creativity and empowering them to build great experiences for themselves and the world and the environment around him. Sebastian, I'm so thankful you're here. How are you today, my friend? Did I leave anything out in that particular little uh, section that you want to add? You know, I'm, I'm a human. I'm a human being. I'm, I'm embracing the spectrum uh, of, of humanity and the, in its nuances and, um, and all that good stuff that I think uh, sometimes we get stuck in the, in the black and white. Um, so I, I, I love, uh, living in those nuances and that spectrum of humanity. Um, so yeah, you know, you could go on and, and labels, uh, and, and maybe, you know, sometimes like, well, maybe I spread myself too thin with all those labels, but at the same time, it's, you know, the, does the rainbow spreads itself too thin? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, no, this is great. I feel good today. This, uh, this some days that you were just talking about where you just feel like it's going to be a good day. Your, your balance is good. You know, you wake up, even though you had like six hours of sleep, yeah. which, you know, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you know, I can brush my teeth and stand on one foot and, uh, no problem. Uh, which is a little ritual I do every day to work on my balance is, you know, brushing your teeth and uh, standing on one foot. If you can do that, this, this is good for you. Do you use your right hand to stand on your left foot or do you use your left hand to stand on your right foot? Or um, right and right? I, I hold the toothbrush with the right hand. And, um, okay. and then as I go through the different quadrants, I, I switch foot. 
um, ah. and um, and then I try to move at the same time because you know the the vibration of the toothbrush. It's an electric toothbrush. Right. It really messes with your inner ear. So if you're able to do balancing at the same time, which by the way, balancing is really good as you get older, um, right. and 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 so. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually helped um, my balancing in yoga. It's helped um, even like knee strength uh, because I, at the same time mm-hmm. I try to flex the knee. So, you know, here we go. Just like a little tip for people. Yeah. And do balancing. What a great way to keep your life in balance. And even on another note, just waking up and being aware of balance is probably a pretty good way to start your day. Uh yeah yeah and and it's and I, I try not to criticize too much but uh, uh, uh it, it's a great way better than just jumping straight to your phone uh mm-hmm. which you know a lot of people do uh and you know which i actually intentionally try not to look at my phone as the first thing that i see um uh when i get up i do turn it on because i actually turn it off at night but um yeah <laughs> It's awesome. I think that uh, whether people are conscious or unconscious, everybody has a morning ritual. Maybe it's brushing your teeth. Maybe it's turning on your phone. Maybe it is waking up and saying why you're thankful for the day. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. rolling over and kissing your partner or waking your daughter up or your son up. But if you have a ritual, be conscious of it like and understand that you do have one, but you should notice it. And once you begin to notice it, then you can begin to understand it and understand more about yourself. And it, it, it becomes an empowering part of your day when the first thing you do is a conscious ritual. Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, I've got a whole series of morning rituals. I mm. mean, it's like, it just, it's, it's just a long list of, of beautiful, simple things that just kind of are chained together uh, to lead to getting the kids to school and, uh, and getting here to work which is my upstairs um and and it's funny because i i met this guy in hawaii you're you're in hawaii i forgot which island but it's this old guy he owns like a a clothing store and probably old hippie and he makes like he makes shirts with like i think he calls it the uh the toothpaste man that it's like (laughs) a guy on a surfboard and and I asked him once, like, what was the secret? And he's like, well, you know, at the end of each day, it's I need to be able to retire from my work. And the beginning of each day is like a vacation. And, you know, and then in between I work. Uh, because, you know, like I was talking about, oh, I'm going to do this when I retire or this and that. It's like, no, like I retire every day in the evening. And then when I wake up every day, it's like a little vacation. And then I go to work. And I was like, oh. I love love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've heard someone else put it in a similar vein, but a little bit more edgy. And what they said is that every night they get the opportunity to die and every morning they get the opportunity to be reborn. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it allows you to forgive and forget and also, you know, go through life with without without the giant blanket of heaviness surrounding you or covering you you know what i mean in in a weird way but it's a cool thing to think about yeah so you know what i I wanted to start off with i I had this idea that i've been thinking about and the ideas i think is uh let me let me just throw it out here and you can tell me what you think about it in your opinion does heightened awareness 
relate to differential processing capabilities? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> uh, depending on how do you define your processing powers, right? Um, you know, it, it's. I was just talking with um, an author, Stephen Gray, who wrote the book "How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World," mm. and we were talking about creating music and and uh, ceremonies. And and I'm talking about ceremonies with you know plant or fungi medicine, psychedelic ceremonies, right. uh, which do give you a heightened sense of awareness. Right. Uh, and and I gotta say when when I play music um, in those uh, in, so I play harmonica, flute, math, harp, drum, um, a whole series of instruments that I, by the way I never played before until like eight years ago uh, when I started working with with psychedelics. Um, it's almost like Neo in the Matrix um, when I'm playing an instrument. It goes from you know I would say a linear way of playing. Uh, without um, psychedelics to a multi-dimensional mm -hmm. way of playing where I'm aware at any point in the, the music of all the different paths I can follow. Um, and so, yeah, I would say there's, there's totally an increase in processing power at that point because I'm able to assimilate all the data from all my sensors at the same time as well. And then mm -hmm. all those paths, I'm able to visualize them at the same time. Um, you know, can I do something useful with that other than playing music? Like if you're talking, you know, yeah. processing and um, I haven't tried. <laughs> Usually that's not where my mind is at then. Um, but, you know, like people will do microdosing, which, you know, they, they can be more um, creative um, mm -hmm. more focused, but I, I don't know, like if, you know, I would equal this to like, you know, is it an increase in processing power or is it kind of cleaning up your, your processing mm. pipeline? Um, so you can be either, you know, more focused or more organized. Uh, I think in the case maybe of microdosing on how you assimilate information. I mean, there is history, like in the, I, I remember reading in the Michael Pollan book, when he talks about, you know, early design of cir circuit boards mm -hmm. and people using psychedelics to be able to visualize those designs in, in three dimensions because you didn't have all the CAD programs that, that exist now. Uh, that was an example he had. So, yeah, there was an increase in, in processing power there with, with that heightened state. That's really well said. And maybe it's not an either or. Maybe it's a both and. Maybe it's doing both of those things. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love... I love the way you describe the way in which you were able to change your relationship with music and the way you processed it. And it, this gets us into what both, I think both you and I have an affinity for patterns, whether it's in music or psychedelics and something I have seen on high doses of psilocybin and some other psychedelics are these abstract three-dimensional geometric images. You know, sometimes you can see them if on a strong dose or maybe depending on who yeah. you are or your diet or your preparation or your meditation. Sometimes on a lower dose, you can see these open eye visuals or sometimes it's closed eyes. But it's these particular geometric images to me seem to be, number one, something you see in a heightened state of awareness. And number two, they seem to be a pattern that, 
is is similar to a language to me. Like you would notice that when you were in a heightened state of awareness, you could play the music in a way in which you couldn't regularly. And it seems to me that these patterns, these geometrical images are a way for us to relate to the environment around us. And they're almost like a coding pattern, but, yeah. or, or some sort of a, uh, you know, some coding pattern. Have you ever given any thought to that? Or is that just way too out there? What do you think? <laughs> oh, no, it's not way too out there. It's, uh, I mean, some of those things I've seen and experienced, like, yes. if, you know, if I, if I told people, they, they wouldn't believe me. <laughs> I know. Um, but, um, you know, th there's a few instances where, where I can relate to, you know, really complex um, images, things, uh, thought patterns because you get to a point yes. where it's not even images it, right. it's um it's almost like uh, talking and experiencing your your native thoughts uh if if you know it, it's like you it's not just one yeah. sense it's it's like um it, it, it's crazy and you know it, it's hard to explain unless you know you, you've been through that uh but you know the, the situation especially you know with ayahuasca which i started with actually before um uh, psychedelic mushrooms uh oh yeah i would see those patterns i would see the most complex architecture designs possible that would you know morph as you look at them i would see the the fractals i would see the patterns i would see yeah. creatures entities in, in three dimensions um and uh yeah yeah um so is that is that a language i mean you know like maybe in symbols uh, for me it right. was like a symbolic language it also reminded me of as as humans and and going back to you know being a full uh human um right. the capabilities what we're capable of in in uh creating and manifesting things that are much bigger um than i think we we you know we sell ourselves short uh pretty yes. short um in in the the day-to-day -day life and and there's you know the limitations uh on on what we can do and how we can bring about i mean if if i want to bring the you know the 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 chapel of sacred mirror i need to be alex gray and work on that for many many years and that's a wonderful vision and a wonderful representations of everything we could bring forth and maybe even a fraction of that and mm -hmm. and he's extremely talented uh but that takes a while it takes a lot of humans to come together to to really manifest that on mushrooms um i've experienced i did um 30 grams of dry mushrooms once through um, okay let's get um... across an entire day and um it wasn't all at the same time there's there's actually a, a whole process uh so don't 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 do that i don't recommend it to anyone um and uh but at that point what was interesting is i was uh listening to music um i have a, a playlist for my mushroom ceremonies and uh and so when i don't play music i i, I play the playlist and and instead of hearing the sounds at that point i just started seeing mountains well you know and 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 i was like wow this is really cool let me start playing music yeah. And so I started playing music and the music became like river between the mountains. And, and and so in a way I was processing information completely differently. Yeah. Uh and yeah, I, I, 
I don't I don't know if there I still don't know if there's a language, but like I'm following it. <laughs> I'm just I'm going with it. I'm going with the flow. And you know, I, I and the Neo in the Matrix. Oh my god, you know, when he started seeing the Matrix and you know, like everything turned into letters and everything I'm- like that. Uh, you know, on, on ayahuasca ceremonies, when I would play flute, um, I would start seeing all the energy, like, moving across everything like that. Um, and, and how the music that I played impacted that, that flow of energy. Um, so really, really stuff that might sound crazy from the outside, but um, felt pretty amazing when I was experiencing them. <laughs> Not only must it have felt amazing, but it sounds fantastic. And I mean that in, in, in the best way possible. It sounds fantastic. And it doesn't take a whole lot of research to begin to understand that in Western thought and in the West today, we have somehow decided that verbal acuity and, and language processing are of a higher order than visual imagery in the world of thought. And it's not true, at least in my opinion. And what you're describing is this way of communicating with yourself, the environment, and your thought process through the world of imagery. And it's just as powerful as, as, as verbal acuity or language. And in fact, the two together are probably the way in which we're supposed to communicate. You, You could probably express an idea through symbolic imagery maybe better than language on some level. And maybe that's what memes are kind of like this merging of the two. But that's what I, when I listen to you speak, I, I'm, I am reminded of the people who came before us and talked about the importance of visual imagery and what it can mean to translate that visual imagery into behavior. And in a weird way, what you're describing when you began working with ayahuasca speaks volumes of your journey from Microsoft to where you're at today. Like those things are together, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That that's been a long journey. Um, sure. I mean, it, it it didn't it, it didn't even start with with psychedelics. I mean, it started with eleven years ago. I was I was doing a a yoga teacher training uh, class, and we did something called Kriya Yoga, which for two hours you've got your eyes closed and you do what they call bastrakas, and you. <laughs> You know, and for people who are listening, is like I'm, I'm, you know, raising my arms up and down, and and the teacher is like controlling your breath, and um, and it, it reduced me to nothing after two hours, and then you do a, um, a, a which is kind of humming with the the front of your mouth, and then when I did that the first time, first I had no idea what I'd gotten myself into, but when I did that the first time, I left my body. And I was like, oh, my God, all the spiritual stuff, that's that's real. And, and I, it was like five seconds. I had a few tears and I was like, oh, my God, I need to I need to learn more. And, and so at the time I was doing startups, eventually I went back to Microsoft and um, yeah, the. And I was growing spiritually. I was learning about, you know, I was doing float tanks, meditation, uh, TM meditation. Um, and, and then eight years ago. Uh, I, I started working with ayahuasca and then mushrooms. Um, and so that spiritual side that I had been starving for years was like, oh, like, you know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it fought back my corporate side of, you know, mm-hmm. building 
uh, I'd been building products for 25 years almost. Um, uh, and, and I love building products still. Um, and it's a fantastic thing. And so there's a, a little bit of collision between the, the two sides there. Sure. Um, and, and that led me to leaving Microsoft and, and doing what I do now. But I'm also at a point now where I'm like, well, this is great. But the next step is kind of coming back and blending all those Virgin. together yes. uh, because you are the sum of all these parts. And <laughs> uh, they're, they're not bad parts. Um, some of them might have been needed earlier in your life. Um, but like, I also love creating stuff, uh, product experiences for people. So yeah, no, it's, it's been a journey from, from, from yoga, meditation, plant medicine, Microsoft, corporate America, not here. And yeah. There's a, um, there's an incredible book that you may like. It's called Stairway to Healing, The Crooked Path We Travel. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. You wrote that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic book. Uh, it's funny. Uh, yeah, no, I wrote this. Man, writing a book, I have a lot of respect for writers. This is such a mental exercise. Yeah. Did, did you write a book? I have. I have. I wrote yeah. a book called The Terror Before the Sacred, and I, I found it to be a fascinating experience. What was your experience like when you did it? Well, first, I, you know, the book is based on my journal. Uh, okay. So I, I went down to, to Peru um, after uh, emotional breakdown. I, I mean, it was, it was a ridiculous breakdown. I mean, it's basically, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I, I was crying for no reason. I would listen to like, you know, I, I give the example of uh, in the book, I was watching a trailer with my wife for a movie called Goodbye, Christopher Robin. And the trailer... <laughs> It's all about this the the author of Winnie the Pooh who welcomes his his son in a in a world torn by war during World War II, I believe. And it's got that emotional soundtrack and everything. And you know, I have three kids, so I can relate yeah. to all these things right away. And for some reason I just started crying and crying. And I was like, okay, I can't finish the trailer, honey. I went to another room. Uh just listening to the soundtrack of the trailer, I was still crying. And, you know, it's like, okay, I got to do something about this. I got to address that. And, and um, a friend of mine had just returned from Peru from a, a retreat. And I was like, okay, that's a sign. I'm going to go. So I told my boss, I was like, I was at Microsoft then. I was like, listen, if, if I don't do something, I'm going to quit. And I need to go in two weeks. So I, two weeks, I was down in Peru. And that's what the book is about. It was it was about what transpired in that retreat, uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, uh, toad ceremony, um, and a little bit of San Pedro, uh, and then the people I met along the way. Um, and, you know, I don't want to give a spoiler to people, but there's no closure in the book, by the way. There's no closure because in a lot of those journeys, there's not necessarily closure. I mean, you don't necessarily get the lessons you wanted to get. <laughs> you get plenty of lessons and it's, it's a never ending process. Um, it did definitely help me. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's just fun. And writing the book because I went from my journal, mm -hmm. um, uh, to, to the book was actually hard. Because when you write a journal, you don't think about the flow, you know, you're just recording information. It's, it's like free flowing, mm -hmm. um, yeah. the, the irony, you don't think about the flow, but it's free flowing. <laughs> uh, 
and and so you know like it's it doesn't flow maybe as well as a book that's engineered to have hey here's the the beginning the middle and the end its chapter should be about that size mm-hmm. and so when when i wrote it and first i you know i'm not a native speaker i mean i've lived in the u.s if, since 1989 so I, I was pretty young when i came to the u.s so you know but but I still have a lot of French in me, uh, so so writing a book was like it, it was a real challenge. And we didn't have Chat GPT then, uh, <laughs> and, and I had a friend of mine who wrote a book on um, uh, outdoor schools. Uh, really great guy, um, and uh, he edited the book. He gave me some edits, and uh, yeah, that that was a long journey, mental journey too, because you're like you think you're done. But it's like, no, I got to do another pass through it. No. Oh, and then there's all those edits I'm getting. I got to do another go at it, another read. And so one day I just sat from like 8 a.m. to I think, I don't know, 9 or 10 p.m. outside. We've got a little waterfall that I built and just sat there and finished the book. And then I was like, that's it. That's good enough. (laughs) It's a beautiful process. I'm always curious to speak to authors and learn about their process of doing it. And it, there seems to be that sense of finality. A lot of times when I speak to people like, okay, I got to this point and I knew it was done. Or a lot of the times I'll hear people say things like, you know, there was points when I was and, and often they are in their, their Zen zone, be it a waterfall mm-hmm. or their desk or wherever they are. And they, I hesitate to use the word divine inspiration, but people often talk about the way in which the book was written through them. Did you ever get that feeling? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you have to align the stars. It's funny yeah. because one of the, the, the best places that I had to write the book, um, I was in, uh, in, the, in Norway for a business trip for Microsoft and it was in the, in the winter. So it's it's almost like dark all day, yeah. and um, and I had basically I was in this cozy little hotel room uh, that was just really really nice with a view of of the frozen arbor, and it was it just freaking night all day, which was you know <laughs> I was like what the, what the heck am I gonna do? Yeah. It's night all day. And I just I just you know sat there and and started working on the book, and it it's just. It is just very peaceful, uh, really, really nice. And and it's very Zen too. And, and you got to also step back from it. And it's very much like product management. This is what I found mm-hmm. is you have to figure out how to connect the right amount of dots for the reader, but not too much. So it's a balance mm-hmm. on connecting the dots and also putting yourself in the mind of a reader and and how they would see the things that you're taking for granted or not see them. Um, so it was a great exercise. It is a great exercise, and it brings to the forefront of my mind two questions and debating which one to ask first. But I think I'll go with this idea of altered uh, altered states of consciousness. Now, we've talked about psychedelics a little bit, and we're going to get into more of them. And those definitely put you in an altered state of consciousness. But sometimes, like what we're doing right now, like a stream of consciousness or being in a hotel room staring out at night all day, which is funny to say, (laughs) you know, like those two are different or altered states of consciousness. And it's 
I think it's interesting to talk not only about psychedelics, but altered states of consciousness, like a stream of consciousness, like you're in the now when you're streaming your consciousness, you're neither subject nor object, you're more here. What is your take on altered states of consciousness outside of psychedelics? Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're very healthy. Uh, the, all the studies show you that, you know, if, if you prevent people from being in the flow, I think it's just for a few days, they start going crazy. Uh, you know, and, and crazy might be a, a big word, but um, maybe their anxiety, you know, the, the sure. different, you know, anxiety increases and uh, because being in the flow is an important state that, yeah. you, you know, even companies try to reproduce that in a very synthetic way uh, by not putting boundaries around people during like hackathons, days where people can create as much as they want. And, uh, but it's an important state. It's a state where where you create freely without worrying about your audience, without worrying where it's going, and it's it's you. That's where a lot of the innovation comes. Um, I I get to that state, you know, exercising, uh, yeah. like in the morning, um, dancing, like free form dancing. Get in that state, um, you know, playing music, even w without psychedelics. Um, but it's like you have to be curious on some of you know it's like there's a certain curiosity and um and so when we when we uh we we ran a retreat last october called the sacred creativity retreat mm -hmm. uh, in peru and and one of the goals was to kind of get people in the states in using psychedelics too but also without using psychedelics like in right. between psychedelic ceremonies so you know the the psychedelics help you maybe feel what that state is like right. so it's easier to reconnect to it outside of those experiences so we had art workshops for example uh where had one person she had broken her hand and she couldn't paint with a brush but she used her fingers and she wasn't necessarily an artist but she got in that flow state yeah um which was of course right after an ayahuasca ceremony i mean the next day but you know there's still you know, an, an sure. ease to get in that. And um, so, uh, yeah, uh, it's, um, I love that state. I, I think it's essential. I love watching our daughter um, get in that state and, and seeing the art that just comes up. And it's, it's an honor to be there and, um, you know, seeing her do that. Yeah, Th that is something that I, I have struggled with. You know, I'm, I'm really open about my use of psychedelics and there's no shortage of people who probably look down on me for that, especially having a daughter mm. and, you know, uh, but there's also people that, you know, are curious about it. But I do think that there's something to be said about the state of art, the state of music, the state of being an artist and tapping into that flow state, whether it's through a, through psychedelics or alternative alternate states of consciousness. And I, I think it's something that can be not only embraced, but encouraged. And I, I wish that we could move away from some of the stigmas that come with psychedelics that tend to be tied to mental illness. Have you noticed there being a stigma between psychedelics and mental illness? And what do you think about that? It's yeah, kind of well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I started my podcast, Leadership Adelics, <laughs> you know, as, as one, 
I was trying to get away from the mental health discussion uh, right. with psychedelics because I was like, you know, sure. Uh, if you want to legalize them, talk about mental health, right, and, right. you know, but now you're creating a new stigma. It's like, wow, you're, you're taking mushrooms. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's, it's like, no, not, nothing is wrong with you. I, I don't do it all the time, but, um, you know, like it, it helps me as, as a person right. from a creative perspective, from being in the moment perspective, you know, there's, there's some moments I, I got to describe this, but where you can, I would say, you know, you've got your, your sensors, you've got your right. eyes, your ears, your touch, your smell, taste, all that. And, and with psychedelics, you get the ability to open those sensors way, way wide, way open and let the data from those sensors flow in. And you're able to just yeah. watch the data flow without any judgment. And you're able to just be there, be present and find that stillness. And, and it's not an escape when that happens. It's the ultimate presence. And, you know, being able to experience that even just once in your life, it's, it's, it's a human right in my mind. And, and so putting that human right behind uh, uh, mental health stigma behind regulations that's that's wrong and sure you could you could be a yogi you could meditate on the mountain you could you know do yoga every day and 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 it works great with psychedelics and you could eventually you know get there but the psychedelics help you kind of you know pull the curtains a little bit faster a little bit more and i I know we still need to be patient and not in a hurry like everybody else, but still being able to feel that, being able to have it transcend you and touch you in your heart and your soul. Then when you do yoga afterward, you can, you know, just, just go back to maybe, even if you go back to half of that or a quarter of that, that's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And I'm I'm glad you brought this up because I think that this is a distinction that, you that I see in you that I don't see in a lot of other people that I'm talking to is using psychedelics. And let's talk about your retreat too. Like you are using psychedelics as a leadership tool. And I'm curious, is that the people that are kind of being drawn to the particular ideas that you have? Or are, is it more of a leadership class or understanding self so that you can become a leader? Or what, 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 is, what is it about leadership adelics? It's it's a giant circle, really. Um, <laughs> Isn't it all? It, 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 it's a giant circle. Uh, maybe it's a snake trying to catch its tail in a circle. <laughs> uh, but it, it's interesting because, you know, I'll, I'll start with the podcast. But with the podcast, the more I tried to get away from mental health and the mental health discussions, the more I discovered that your foundation is in the in the mental health and kind of a, a, a healthy mind and a healthy soul and a, and creating from a healthy space uh, really helps you manifest a better future. Like if if I play music, um, you know, I've got I've got my harmonica right here. But if if I was to start playing music, I would. I would center myself. I would center myself and approach it from a, a, a place of a, of a center, which completely changes how the music comes out. And if I'm, a, if I'm in a psychedelic ceremony, finding that center 
um, is a little bit easier. Like you're, you're even more in tune with like the, the center of all the centers. Uh, and, and, um, and so uh, the, back, to, back to leadership, it's like what, I, what I'm finding out from talking to all those guests is, yes, there's creativity, there's authenticity, there's, there's everything you're creating and manifesting forward, but you need to start with, with a healthy place, with a, a healthy mind, healthy soul, you know, addressing your wounds uh, otherwise you're going to hurt the people around you and now for the retreat uh we made it about creativity you know, the sacred creativity retreat and and the reason we made it about creativity is for for my friend kunti who's an amazing uh, medicine woman and and i um creativity has always been part of our journey as a tool to help us uh, to help us heal and help us express ourselves and 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 feel empowered because you know even as kids it's like with creativity you can bring to world things that you're just a little kid like you couldn't bring otherwise you know you you can't buy a car you can't buy a house you can't you know walk to a mountain and climb the top but you have that creativity that you can manifest at any moment. And so, so that, that sacred creativity retreat, um, we really wanted to honor that. Now, the people that came to the retreat, all types of people, they just re resonated with, with our narrative of like creating and we're going to do workshops and we're going to do music and art workshops. And, and we're also not going to do any tourism during the time we're doing the retreat um we'll do it before and after uh but not not during the type and, and you know it attracts a certain type of people that are committed to the work that are interested to explore things they haven't done before because nobody had done you know i'm showing here on the screen this is a, a jews harp jaws harp math harp uh, i don't know if you can hear that but so you know nobody had done that um you know there's there's the there's a harmonica um nobody had done that and so they were willing to do things they hadn't done before um to expand what they can do as as humans and the result was you know truly truly amazing it is amazing it's On, on some level, I think everybody has a mental health issue. I mean, the human yeah. condition demands it. <laughs> you know, it's crazy to say, but I think, and, and in some ways, it's that suffering or it's that illness that we all have been touched by. And if it's not us, it's probably somebody we love. And it's just so strange to think that suffering, this thing that so many people are afraid of, it's like the one thing that can really unite us that the, we can all rally around it because we've all been touched by it and getting in touch with with wellness or illness or you know just a few letters off there but i think that the psychedelic experience and the opportunity to engage in redefining yourself and wellness and being around like-minded people that are ready to take that next step you know it, there's something to be said about the community or the social structure that happens when you invite people into that area yeah i mean people want to have their hero's journey that's yes. one thing um and and part of the hero's journey is the challenge and you know the the suffering and and you know the climbing a mountain and the going going away far <laughs> uh 
And, and, you know, it's interesting because when, when I started working with plant medicine, it was actually locally here in Seattle with the Native American church here, which they're allowed mm. to do uh, peyote as well as ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, and, and when I started doing that, I was like, wow, there's a great community here, amazing people and beautiful, beautiful songs that are really healing. Like, wh- why would anyone travel all the way down to Peru or, you know, Costa Rica or, you know, anywhere else uh, to to do ceremonies? And it took me like several years to really appreciate um, the space that you yeah. need to create for that journey and actually going in that journey. And, and so, you know, a lot of people when, when I was advertising and promoting uh, – <laughs> promoting the sacred creativity on on facebook which i don't recommend anyone who's running retreats to you know promote them on facebook uh because you'll you'll get a lot of opinions and and i did get many opinions there and you know one of them was like well why would i pay all that money to go all the way down to peru you can just come do it in my backyard i got some ayahuasca for you um and uh i'm like you know i responded to that i was like hey you want to go down in, in his backyard and, and do a ceremony do your research and if you know if it's safe and this is what you're looking for and being called to do it like you know there's options for for everyone um you know it, it's it's just yeah and the hardships you you talk about i mean they're part of the journey we we have to go through those hardships and the mental health it's an ongoing journey. And I was talking about that with somebody else yesterday. It's an ongoing metamorphosis. Mm. We're, we're always, um, you know, transforming ourselves. So. It's interesting. Let me, let me touch on some issues that I've been reading about that kind of divide the community a little bit. And there's no, I don't <laughs> yes. think that there's any right or wrong answer, but I'm curious to get your opinion. It seems to me that in the world of, of, psychedelics today they are focusing a lot on mental illness and there's a lot of attention on different retreats but a lot of these retreats and a lot of these um you know places that are beginning to do wellness therapies are extremely expensive you know sometimes they can be upwards of five ten even you know maybe 20 grand if you want looking for a long-term sort of a resort filled retreat or but the point is there's really expensive and it seems to me that there are people that may not be a – there may be alternatives to a guy in his backyard. And, you know, isn't doesn't it seem that the people who may need a lot of this therapy are the people that don't have the money or the ability to really research it? Like these people – we push away yeah. people with bipolar. We push away these people that yeah. are under the bridges that have PTSD. Aren't these some of the people that need the medicine the most? They, there's the yes, um, <laughs> but uh, you know it's it's there's there's options. I, I believe there's there's options for for everyone, and mm-hmm. you know like the the retreats where people fly somewhere to that retreat. Um, I mean, running our retreats, our costs are really high. Yes, uh, and this is this is one of the things that it's actually really challenging to do a retreat. So you got to watch for a few things. If the retreat is cheap, that usually means they're accepting 20 guests at the same mm. time, 20 to 30 guests. Now, if they're expensive and they're doing 20 to 30 guests at the same time, you really need to ask yourself some questions of like, 
is it, what's their motivation to to run that um and and so for in our example we're keeping it small like eight people maximum which creates a lot of problems because we don't really have an economy of scale with eight people and our break-even mm -hmm. point is you know might be like at six people um and so it's it's not simple math because you got to pay for the healers and you got to pay the healers well because they've trained for, you know, we use local healers and they've trained for, for many, many years. And they're, they need the money because they're not running retreats all the time. And if they ran retreats all the time, they would be overworked, exhausted, yeah. and they wouldn't do their work as well. So, so running a retreat. And then if you're doing it in the Sacred Valley, for example, versus the jungle, your costs are going to be much higher because, you know, but your, your comfort for your guests will be much better. So like, you know, that's, that's a tough nut to crack. And, and I've seen retreat centers that, that will do also retreats reg regularly, like every month, every, you know, or every other month. That, that's pretty regular. Um, but then they have ro to rotate through their staff, which mm -hmm. increases the, the risks because now you've got, you know, important quality control of, yeah. you know, how you hire the staff. So retreats, uh, offshore, offshore retreats that are not at home are, are really hard to, to manage, uh, and to make, to make money from unless you, you know, increase the guest, which increases, um, the complexity and the risks for your own guests, uh, as great as your facilitators might be, uh, you can have guests that suck the energy of other guests. You can have guests that have really, uh, poor behaviors during a ceremony that just ruins everybody else's ceremonies. And and as much as people would like to think they can predict all that, that you can't always predict it. That's the big lesson from ceremonies. They're all different. Um, now, people that can't afford going there, you know, I, I think there's, there's not enough, but there's local options, there's underground options, there's guides. I think as this, this becomes more and more... Um, talked about uh people will realize they have guides right down the street from them uh and they don't need to travel kind of like the autobiography of a yogi you don't need to go all <laughs> to the top of a mountain your 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 yogi is right there but you know like you have to do a lot of research there because then there's you know there's safety um potential safety concerns because you're in a very vulnerable state when when you're in psychedelics uh, and then you're now talking above grounds and above grounds, you've got people who've, who've taken like certifications maybe for like a year. And before that, they've never done any work with, with psychedelics. So you also got to watch for that. Uh, and then you've got all the regulation that the government is putting in place, um, which is going to make it really challenging. Um, but I, I think there will be more options um, for for people in the future because there's so many people that that need it. Mm -hmm. um, it might be that what I call pharma 2.0 <laughs> will be the, the default option, uh, mm. where it might be, you know, a, a more sterile experience maybe with a more focused uh, substance, which might not necessarily have all the spiritual, um, connection that, that, you know, I enjoy, uh, but it's it's it might still help. Like it might still have like some good efficacy in helping mm. people, um, but I see a future where there will be lots, lots and lots of options. Um, but it's a hard one. Like retreats are, are a bad example of something to make accessible to a broader community because the people who run it, 
unless they have some donations uh, and, and raise money as a nonprofit, like I want to pay the people who do the work. I want to pay the healers. I want to pay the local staff at the retreat center. And, and that forces us, I mean, our retreat, you know, when we did it uh, last year, I think the average price was 33, maybe $3,300. And, and we're going to have to raise them because we lost money at $3,300 and we had five guests. Um, and we were going to have seven guests, but two of them canceled at the last minute. So that made mm -hmm. the difference between, you know, like breaking even or not. Um, so the, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation, like for people who run retreats. And then there's the marketing of it. Uh, mm -hmm. which is usually the best people at the work of healing are the worst marketers. Um, so just a, it just is. a hint there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me because it's this thing that is evolving in real time and you can see it changing, you know, whether it's through the sacrament or, or, the people there or the angles in which people take, whether it's starting up their own church or, you know, having a, a direct lineage to a, a shaman who has, you know, been a shaman for, for quite a long time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like as I've been thinking about different retreats and different ways in which people are being healed, I'm reminded of like the Eleusinian mysteries. And wouldn't it be an interesting thought experiment like let's just do this like if if you and mm -hmm. i were to recreate the eleusinian mysteries how would that look today i don't know i'm not familiar with eleusinian mysteries so you know tell me okay so in mid in a i believe it started off as like a uh even before the times of of the romans and the greeks there was like this ceremony that people did and it was People from all walks of life, be it wealthy noblemen or slaves, everyone had the right to attend this three-day festival. And mm. you would go into the festival your first day and you would sit at like an amphitheater from, yeah, from yeah. what I've read. And people listening to this don't crucify me if I get this completely wrong. But it's just what I've read a little bit. And so um, imagine what this might be like. Imagine going into an amphitheater-like setting where there's a live mm. stage being being out and the actors come out and everyone has like a cup of say mushroom tea or something not yeah, a huge yeah. dose but maybe a somewhere between two maybe one to three and a half grams somewhere along that lines and you're yeah, sitting yeah. in this amphitheater and as the medicine begins to kick in and you feel yourself you know becoming really aware of everything around you the play begins and the play is a tragedy it's something like the idea of persephone and demeter where the daughter mm -hmm. dies and the whole crowd sees it and takes part in it. And they become part of this thing that's bigger than them. And it transcends language because now you're watching a daughter disappear. And the, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the mother just frantically searching. And it's, it's like this death and rebirth. And towards the end of the play, they find the daughter and everyone is kind of reunited. But it's this shedding of the detritus it's the shedding of the human condition for a moment we can all experience this thing together and this. then you know it's it's a beautiful thing that can yeah. happen and it takes everyone away from the world of judgment of each other and you know it's the death and rebirth the sun up and the sun down it's a beginning and then there's another day or two of festivals and 
But it just seemed to me that, you know, it's the birthright of people to have this psychedelic experience, this new connection. When I see retreats, I'm often reminded about the stories of Eleusis and how healthy it was for people to go. And, you know, there wasn't a whole, obviously it's not today where everyone has to have liability protection and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, I, I think it. that there's a way to return to that in a weird sort of way. Yeah, this this brings up a, a few things, but I, I love this this reflection. Um, well, first, it, it, it took me right to Burning Man, which I've never been to, but I'm me like, hey, <laughs> uh, I, I'm like, I, I can see uh, that in Burning Man. I, I, the sense of community in retreats is, is really important. That group sure. of people there for each other, the, the bones you're forming there is, is really important. But it also brings me to another reflection I've had recently, which, you know, we're, we're always talking about the mental health pan, uh, pandemic and how everybody has mental health issues and, and could benefit from from psychedelics but the thing is you know if you look at you know i put my product hat and you look the, look at the customer journey you know if you take one person that you know or a hundred people who have a, a mental health problem and you know how many of those will actually understand that they're having a mental health problem how many of those will actually go seek help for that mental mm -hmm. health problem how yeah. many of those you know will will actually end up in, in an environment that helps them find a solution. Because like if they don't even know they have a mental health problem, if they're it it's just yeah. become their their baseline of living, uh, which, you know, a lot of people I think are in this situation and are like, my life sucks. I'm alone. Mm -hmm. I'm angry. Do I have a problem? No. Everybody else does, but I don't. Uh, like they're never going to seek help. Uh, and so I've been wondering about this recently because, you know, every time you, you get a startup and psychedelics that's pitching, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to help all those people. Yeah. I'm like, well, you, you're going to help the people who actually come to your door. Um, but, you know, like there's, there's probably a whole lot more that could benefit from from your help. Uh, and, the, and, the, and I was coming to the conclusion that, entertainment and and a community yeah. is the way to actually help people who who don't see that they have a problem uh and and to kind of lead way lead them to you know may, maybe that door and it, it it might they might never call it a problem but they might find healing in the process, healing through like what you talked about, through that yeah. that music, yes. that art, that connection, that community. Um, and then and then I came like full circle and changed my mind where it was like, well, decriminalization, that's the way. Because when you're decriminalizing a substance, you don't go into a cannabis store. Uh, well, some people do like saying, well, I've got anxiety. I need to bring my anxiety now uh, mm -hmm. down. And, and some people have that awareness and are able to uh, do that. But a lot of people will go in there and they'll go, you know, I just, just want to go relax, have a good time. And it might lead to, to some breakthrough that cannabis can, can lead to. But imagine if you had, you know, like I'm actually going for the first time to a, a Grateful Dead concert. Oh, yeah. Um in uh the summer and you know like there's mushrooms everywhere there but you know it, and it, it's like imagine if you go you get your your mushrooms you go to that concert 
and you get that sense of community you find that healing and also like i think there's a a lot of cleansing that happens uh through you know beautiful um through beauty through like beautiful music through a beautiful sense of community and that helps with your mental health and you never at any point said well you know, I've got some issues here and you never had to deal with the stigma or anything. You never had to go, you know, like, like fill out a form or, you know, it's like you, you found healing. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. I, uh, it, it's in some ways it's so beautiful that it, it's, it's almost like, I think going to a Grateful Dead concert is a lot like having a, an, a, an acid trip. Like sometimes it's so beautiful, like you don't want to leave, so you just keep taking more. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, I'll see. I don't, I don't know. I know. You will. You will. In uh, the '90s, I was lucky. My friend and I, I had a back in another lifetime when I was in my, I must have been 18, somewhere around there, and I just graduated. And we drove my bus. I used to live in California. We drove up to Oregon. It took like three days. We saw the Grateful Dead up in Autumn Stadium in Eugene, and I'll never forget. We, I drove up there, and we we're a couple of days early. And I parked my bus in this field. And when I woke up the next day, boom, there was just cars and buses <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, wow, it was so magical in so many ways. And I, I think you'll experience the same thing. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful festival of creativity and artistry and weirdos. And even like there's a there's a lot of violence in a way. Not so much a fist fighting kind of violence, but like a violent sort of a violent behavior. I, it's hard to explain. Like there's there's a violence in the way people are fighting the world around them, and you can mm. see it in some people out there. It's it's kind of hard to describe, but I, I'm stoked you're, for you. You're gonna have an awesome time. The, the, yeah, you know, uh, sometimes I get really sad. Look, I don't look at the news anymore. I get, yeah. I used to get you know they're talking about yeah. the violence and people fighting or, or the world around them too. Is uh, uh, I think. Yeah, COVID and the pandemic, yeah. uh, it just lit up a fuse. Like, I think we were already like, you know, a, a tinderbox just waiting to explode and, and just uh, people on lockdown that it just lights up the f- fuse. There's an invisible enemy and um, the, the virus. And, and that's a really hard situation dealing with something you, you can't see when all your life, you know, all the, the advertising, everything is about giving you something you can see. And then for the first time, most people had that invisible enemy that you can see with rules from the government and, and mostly, you know, middle-aged white dudes, uh, you know, giving them, giving them some rules. It was terrible, terrible. It was like the, the perfect storm. And, and, you know, that anger hasn't stopped. I just keep seeing it um you know even in the street like i I walk uh we walk our daughter to school which is is really nice my wife and i do that in the morning um but even the way people drive and behave with each other it's like there's so much just intensity and and just anger that you can feel in the world today and i was like yeah you you need those psychedelics. <laughs> you you need that medicine. You need the music. You need to be in the moment. And I'm back to you know talking about being in the moment. You need that flow state. Like so many people need the flow state, but it's hard. It's hard to get to the flow state when the solution to surviving now is packing more things into your life. Mm. Like 
you know, and I love your podcast, True Life. You know, it's like how you know, truly living life. And slow yeah. down. Yeah, I think it's difficult for a lot of people because we weren't given the foundation to interpret the world around us when we were younger. And a lot of what I see with psychedelics, whether it's a trip to Peru, whether it's perusing an old book on psychedelics or, you know, different or a National Geographic magazine, I think we need to embrace what McKenna called the archaic revival. Because a lot of these things, these invisible enemies, whether it's communism or a virus or the military industrial comp, like it's all paper masks and rattles, right? It's like, ooh, ah, look at this thing, yeah. you know, and like people get really scared with these masks and rattles. And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination, like just for kicks, people listen to this, turn on the news and, and watch the paper masks and rattles and then close your eyes and imagine being at a campfire and an older guy with a scary mask and horn just dancing around and got some fire. It's the same thing. Like yeah. there, there's a threat there, but do you really need to be afraid of that threat? If you're sitting in your house, you're watching TV, just turn yeah. over and look at the other box, that thing called a window, and look yeah. out there because those things ain't happening through that window, yeah. only through this window. And yeah. which one are you going to pay attention to? There's a, there's an experiment I'm, I'm trying to do with my kids' school that I read in one of Joseph Campbell's books, and it's this idea of masks, and it's based on a tradition, I think, in Sri Lanka. And in Sri Lanka, in this Whenever he was writing about this story at a time in Sri Lanka, he was talking about this tribe. And what they would do is, you know, the kids from the age of like two to eight, they would have their own areas where they would play. And from time to time, um, someone in a mask would walk by. And sometimes it would, and it was always, someone would be in a mask, they had a scary mask, like a devil mask, and he would scare the kids. And then someone, you know, later in the day or two days later would walk by in like a crying mask. And they'd be crying, and they'd cry to the kids. And then another person would walk by and they would have a comic mask on and they'd be joking with them. And the kids were conditioned to these people walking around in masks, you know, for, for years. And they, they came to their little schools where they were. And then there was a ceremony, like at the age of 11, you know, when, and all the kind of kids would hear whispers as, as they got older. And at the age of 11, the people in those masks would break into the kids' home and the parents are totally in on it. And the, you know, like the kid would be like, ah, like in the middle of the night, like nine o'clock, the doors open and it has the shuttering and the, you know, the kids knew it was kind of coming <laughs> and the people with the mask come in and they grab the kid and the mom oh, tries to put up a fight, but lets the kid go and they take him out into the street and the kid is there just shivering like, ah, and the guy with the devil mask comes out and they circle around him and the first mask comes out. And he gets in the kid's face and he does whatever the mask is, whether it's comic or crying. Yeah. And for this one, it's a devil mask. And he, goes, ah, he scares him and the kid's freaking out. But then the guy takes the mask off and he shows him, it's me, I'm your uncle. And he takes the mask and he puts it on the kid. And then the next guy comes up with the crying mask. Ah, and the kid's like, ah, and takes off the mask. And it's, hey, it's me, it's your auntie. And they take that mask and they put it on the kid. And the kid learns, hey, all these scary and happy and funny and sad things, they're all of us. And they're just masks that you wear. Yeah. And I thought it was just a tremendous way to begin to build a foundation for a child to navigate the world around him, right? Like what a better foundation you have when you're taught that as a kid. Like, oh, I remember that. That guy's got a mask on. Oh, it's a ma I have that same mask, you know? And yeah. I think if we can return to some of these things, then we can change the world we live in. And it's happening. Like I, I see this sort of acceleration of war and all these things as old ideas dying. And the evidence I give for that is both you and I 
have spent 26 years in the corporate world before finding whether it's the courage in ourselves, whether it was something we were called to do, to leave behind, at least for a while, this world that we swam in, this world that was everything to us, and try something new. And that's happening, whether it's you and Kesha or me and other people in my area. It's happening to people in all socio-demographic areas. It's happening to all of us at the same time. It's almost like we are this butterfly emerging from the detritus of a cocoon as a new form. Oh, yeah. And so when I see what you're doing with your with your retreat and how it has a different form and it it, it underscores leadership and and beauty the same way other ones do, but in a different way. I, I know I kind of went on a rant there, but what do you think no, about this idea great. of a foundation changing it for kids? Uh, well, I don't know if I'd go this way about it. <laughs> Uh, uh, because I don't know, we, it could tr create trauma possibly. I mean, we, we, we did have our home burglarized and, Ooh. um, and I, I can see the impact of, you know, people violating your, your sacred space that mm. you don't know. And, and I don't know how healing it is to, I know if you do it quickly and show the face afterward, it it might not make the trauma <laughs> stick. Uh, but you know, it, it's a nice story, and it, it drives across the you know like like the point. Um, right. I just don't know if I, I'd experiment that. I think you know, having experienced a, a, <laughs> a you know a burger in our home, I'm like, yeah, especially the, even for the parent, even though they were in on it on your story. Like for me, it's like, oh shit, like. Somebody breaking your home—that's that's a big deal. Uh, but I I love um, the building of emotional intelligence. Because yes, this is really yes. What, what you're what you're doing here. Um, I I do it differently with with our daughter. I you know when she's drawing or when I'm drawing, we really try to focus on expressions and mm -hmm. and kind of understanding that language of facial expressions. Um, there's a there's there's a great artist um there's a book called canuffle bunny um I by uh i think the author is called william william i mean our, our daughter is like five years old um so uh but like the facial expressions of the characters every time we go through that i'm like okay what expression is is mm -hmm. going through um but I, I, in your story at the same time it's understanding that we can you know, go through those expressions, but still retain, I guess, our ourselves. I mean, that, sure. you know, the being the uncle that sometimes is angry or sometimes yeah, is, totally. is happy. Um, that's an important message. It touches on rites of passage, too, which yes, is another great big one. thing uh, that is, is kind of missing uh in in our society um and there's there's a lot of people who talk about it better than i but let's like you you need those rites of passage it's like you know going from those different stages and acknowledging the the shift uh, is important um i don't know uh and and i i like that you you see you know what we're trying to achieve with the retreat um that's really important that just that leadership that creativity that experience to actually really broaden our humanity you know and that's why you mm -hmm. know when we're talking labels at the beginning and who yeah. i am it's like you know I, I i feel that as humans we tend we've built our that cave with the shadows on the yeah. walls yes and, yes um we we can see so much more we can be so much more um 
But sometimes I think for a lot of us, we find comfort in simplifying that, you know, the, the vastness of humanity. And there's a lot of comfort in staying in that cave. There's a lot of comfort in watching the news and, and you know, getting the information in a certain way. But being able to break away from that, it's also important. Like, you know, I've left corporate several times before and I came back to it. But the fact that I left it really allowed me to appreciate, yeah. uh, give, give me some perspective. I appreciate what I have there. I appreciate the outside. And I might go back to corporate. I don't know. Um, if they want me after this interview and, and, you know, all the other podcast episodes and me playing flute, I think it'd be a, a great thing. Um, but yeah, and all the guests on the show I've had, I was actually reflecting on that. Like everybody's gone through that journey, that, yeah. that, uh, corporate grind that, you know, grinding at a job that somehow early in your life, you thought, wow, you know, this is the, this is the top of a mountain if I make it there. Yeah. Um, and then you make it there, you make it to the top and you're like, really? <laughs> this like, is the top, really? That's it. Well, I've, got everything, I've got everything <laughs> I wanted, uh, <laughs> but you know, I don't feel happy. And, you know, and then people step back, look for their happiness. And I think that's healthy. Like people should be ready to mm -hmm. do this hero's journey and not necessarily wait for their middle life crisis, which, you know, by the way, like middle life crisis isn't a bad thing just because it says crisis in there. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those important journeys. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I, you know, when people talk about the allegory of the cave, like we, we all talk about the shadows on the wall, but if you dig down deeper and read further into there you see that the guy leaves the cave but then he comes back and in a weird way you know maybe that is the metaphor for going back to the world you lived in like you know the 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 same motif is everywhere it's the prodigal son who leaves his family and returns it's yeah. the allegory of the cave it is the hero's journey and it's it's written in our dna somewhere like you know i'm not the mandalorian but this is the way <laughs> <laughs> love funny. it this is the way I, you know i've actually not started watching the last season because i've heard so many actually i did watch the first episode of last season and i was like oh man they're just like bubbleheads now uh, <laughs> in so many ways sorry so it's just ways. like if we if we gotta talk about the mandalorian i you know i I love the the first season. Like there's there's a nice story. I forgot the second season. It was okay, and now I'm like, wow, you guys. I'm like he's gonna go on a whole journey because he took his mask off. Sorry, for spoiling, spoiling it for everybody, but it's like, oh, and then afterward, it's like, in order to get there, he's got to do another mini quest and another mini quest, and I'm like, like, dude. Don't be so hard on yourself. You just took your mask off. Like, like chill. Like, I like your face. And, you know, my wife and I were reflecting on this and we're like, you know, maybe the end of the whole series, he's finally at peace with not wearing his mask. Um, and, and we can actually enjoy this, this actor's face. And I'm just like, yeah, just imagine being this actor. It's like, okay, this is good for one season. It's good for two seasons, but oh yeah, and then there's the armor, which you know she's like a badass woman, but like you you want to see her face, and it's like 
there's no facial expression other than this metallic thing, maybe like tilting a little bit like you're Canadian and going, hey. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, so I don't know that the Mandalorian, it, we're, we're also trying to stop watching TV. So, right. you know, a, every show like that, that um, just misses the mark is another great reason for us to not, not watch anymore. Well, I think it speaks volumes of the world we live in today. In some ways, the message of that show is don't ever take your mask off. Don't ever be yourself. Just be this robotic idea that you want the world to do. And like that's that's it. You know, they say art imitates life. And if that is like one of the biggest shows and that's the message behind it, like everyone should turn off the television. But, you know, it, it, the, the, the world we live in is symbolized everywhere. But speaking of speaking of stories, Let's bring this back to the idea of literature and psychedelics. Yeah. There's a there's a there's this idea from Brave New World where Huxley talks about soma and soma being something that people take in order to alleviate their problems but then get back to work, get back to life. Do yeah. you see that maybe psychedelics or I think sometimes ketamine may lean more towards soma because it seems the idea of a disassociative Maybe yeah. it has a negative connotation sometimes where it allows you to disassociate and then come yeah. back and, and deal with the problems without dealing with them, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think there's there's a tendency of, of us humans looking for solutions to our problems. And, and one of them is taking pills. One of yeah. them is taking substances and, and one of them is then using these as a crutch, you know, that in order to operate uh like in corporate i might need to take that pill every day in order yeah, to do this i might need that pill i you yeah. know and and uh and then it becomes the new baseline and i can you know i mean I, we're not going to change as 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 the human race overnight i mean I, I don't see us changing that behavior over the next you know 50 years with some magical enlightenment i mean we're, we're still going to be looking for the solutions we're still going to be pushing ourselves because um, I, I think a lot of that, sometimes it's people pushing themselves. It's people pushing themselves to say, I can do this job. I can do this. You know, like, hey, it's it's okay if I, if I microdose. It's okay if I go do ketamine once a month. I can do it. Um, as, as a race, I don't think we're going to change. But what I'm hoping is like, you know, maybe people will will grow through the stages faster yeah. <laughs> um, as as those messages are, are shared and we start sharing our experiences there because I went through that. I mean, I, I went through that with, you know, and it wasn't just substances at the beginning is I did yoga because I was doing startups mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm doing startups. It's intense. I heard about this thing called yoga. Maybe I should try it. And, you know, and then I did yoga and meditation and you had that tool and that tool. And then you add, you know, substances well cannabis yeah. is good with meditation yeah. and then you add this and you add that and you add this and eventually you stack up so so much but you're able to operate so high but you've also lost yourself in the process because it was like who who was i where, where was that baseline um and yeah i mean it, it's gonna happen and and it's funny like ketamine where i could get very controversial about that i was like i totally hate calling this a psychedelic even though the effects might be very similar but it's it's like people love calling it a psychedelic because it's great for the vcs that have invested in psychedelic mm -hmm. companies that end up just opening ketamine clinics that are 
you know, effective. Some of like, you know, I've heard effective stories, but like I, I'm not calling it a psychedelic either. And, you know, I haven't experienced it myself, so I, I'm not going to bash it either. I've had several guests that have experienced it. I've had great results with ketamine therapy. I had one that had a terrible experience uh, because the, the people that were administering were weren't were coached properly. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, this is going to continue happening i don't think we're going to get some enlightenment magical enlightenment on the human race um microdosing is is a good safe way i think you know for you can start small you you know it can help you find what i would call serenity Mm. (laughs) in your day and and you know have uh maybe a hint of uh inner peace for some people um that they're they're seeking um, and then, you know, even with microdosing, it's like, what substance are you going to use? Because it mm-hmm. resonates differently with, with different people, like Wachuma, LSD, psilocybin. It's like, which one? So, yeah, it's going to continue happening. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, I'd spoken a little bit earlier about how art can imitate life. And I, I've always liked Huxley as a writer. And yeah. I'm a big fan of, of, I'm a big fan of the dystopians, whether it's 1984, Brave New World. But it wasn't until recently that I read The Island, which was another book by Huxley. So it's 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 interesting because in Brave New World, at the end of Brave New World, like a couple of the people are banished to an island, you know, and and so I've always wondered if maybe this island was like a play on his thoughts. But the story of the island is a way in which they use psilocybin mushrooms in a way that's beneficial to the community. I'm not condoning what they do in the book, but in the book they have the children of the island go through sort of like a the same way a woman from South America would go through a quinceanera. The young kids in this particular island go through this ceremony where they mm. climb this rock face and then they take a small amount of mushrooms or some sort of <laughs> sacrament at this church on top right there, you know? And it's it just makes me wonder like, wow, what an amazing way to to integrate, you know, being and understanding into a community and not have all these, you know, war on drugs or all these exterior yeah. stimulus that, that can cause people to have anxiety or depression. What do you, th- what's your take on that? Well, one is it's a, it's a fantastic uh, way to honor uh, our humanity, what you describe, you know, like, yeah. like take them to the top of a mountain and, and have them experience the, the, I'm hoping there's some guardrails there. Absolutely, have them, them experience the full range of um, of, of humanity and, and what they could be. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with guy um, who's a coach. His name is Olivier. I forgot his last name. Um, really nice, really nice guy. Earlier this week, and he's all about storytelling. Nice. Uh, and how you own your own story and the importance of owning your own narrative and you know when i i think about everything that happens in the world today a lot of it is what i would call weaponized narratives mm. and it's it's yeah. all about trying to catch you in their currents and make you feel like their narratives is your your narrative uh similar to the way a movie director um if you were watching a movie would would use the the camera angle the mm-hmm. the sound the music to take you in a different state of mind uh and 
And yes, all those things are happening. All those things will always happen. They've always happened. I mean, mm -hmm. before it wasn't as efficient, but it was, you know, like uh, you talk about Rome. I'm sure there was plenty of, of you know, propaganda there uh, and, and control of population. Uh, but at the end of the day, like this is, I tell people, this is like your story. And that's what uh, my, my uh, friend Olivier, the coach, I can give you his information. A great yeah. guy, great energy. But reminder, he used to make uh, advertising. So he was a movie mm. uh, uh, ad director. So he's he's got all the skills. But right. you know, he teaches and, and I tell people, it's like you own your own story. What, what soundtrack do you want to play in the back of your mind? What camera angle do you want to use? I mean, do you want, you know, the, the, like, is it something like Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings and inspiring? Mm -hmm. Or is it like, you know, like, like the, the Fox News uh, camera angle uh, or, you know, CNN or whatever, you know, it's, it's like they're, they all have their, their own choices of, of flavor. Uh, like pick your flavor, pick what's, what's yours. Like the, the world is always going to happen. There's always going to be, dark and controversial things and and things that you know you you can be a victim of um and it's never going to end uh, but you have the power like as humans like you're talking back to that kid going to the top of the mountain it's like wow you, you have the power to go to the top of a mountain and experience the amazing world that we're in i i just everybody should feel that once in their life this brings us back to the idea of creativity that you know the that you spoke about earlier in the podcast, and it seems to be something that you're drawing out of people when they contact you, whether it's to talk or read your book or go to the retreats. What what do you think is the relationship between narratives and psychedelics? Do you think that people who begin to understand the environment of psychedelics have a more of a toolkit to tell themselves a better story? Yeah, I feel it increases the the size of palette, the the the, the paint like you're you're yeah. you're working with. Um, it's even the brushes, uh, and uh, I mean it's it's um, it's like you grew up and and all you had was maybe the you know I don't know what those things were where where you 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 it's a sketch. It's like you you grew up, you know. Uh, with Funny. a with a hedgehog sketch, and then <laughs> yep. all of a sudden, uh, that's all you could use to you know to to make things, and 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 some people are actually really impressive with exo sketches. You really were, but it's like all of a sudden somebody gives you like a set of color pencils and you know different types of paper with different grains, um, and and said, hey, go have at it, and and. Uh, and it really opens your world and and then you can use that moving forward like like i never played music before um be, before um working with psychedelics and now i play flute every friday i've got my flute fridays uh videos on on linkedin and youtube i i play in ceremonies and i play to my kids um and so and it's thanks to that that really opened the gate, like in my case. And so the people come to the retreat, we, we open that, that gate for them. We give them, you know, more tools they can use in their growth. And yeah, it just it just reminds us what it's like to use this this 
I, I call it a temple because you have to treat it like like a temple. Like, yeah. But like this this body and and it's the gift, the gift of it, the gift of the sight, the gift of the hearing, the gift of touch, the gift of eating. Like I, I talked about that, that podcast is, is not out yet, but uh, uh, one of our guests, uh, uh, Lana Shea is, is her name. She's fantastic. Um, but we, we end up geeking out about um, uh, like tasting a bite after uh, a mushroom ceremony and just holding that bite in your mouth and, and just fully appreciating like all the flavors um uh of of that experience because we're always rushing 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 and then sometimes like wow this is what it's like being human this is what the this was the this is what the french people are talking about <laughs> uh, the french people on the countryside uh that that slow down and you know they're in their cafe and just spend hours there i don't know i've never experienced that as a french person but that's the image a lot of people have of, of french people um, I was like, there's probably some truth there. Yeah, probably a lot of it. it, it it's a great metaphor because it, it, that can be the same moment you have biting into a tropical fruit after a psychedelic trip. You know, it, it, can, it can be the same way you savor life, whether it's yeah. in a relationship or watching your child, you know, do something for the first time or, you know, watching, getting to have a conversation with your loved one that you Maybe some people don't even know their loved one's favorite color or something, but there's all these little things that you can do with people you love for the first time that you may not be aware of. And I think that psychedelics, at least for me, has opened that door of like, there's so many different dimensions that I never even thought about or had even taken time to really contemplate. And when I think about dimensions, I think about cultural dimensions. Have you found that, mm. and you spoke on this a little bit, have you found that the ceremony in Peru may be difficult to translate culturally from someone who's born in California. Like maybe taking something out of that like with the Icaros and like it's a different culture. So it may be difficult to absorb. Have you noticed that? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 sometimes it's difficult to absorb for me. And I've had <laughs> totally. experiences uh, with them. I mean, the, uh, you know, if, if anyone has listened to, to Icaros before, it's kind of like, you know, it's something, you know, it's like this, this is, you know, I don't want to insult anybody who does great Icaros, but like sometimes that's how it comes, comes across to me. I mean, it's a completely different mindset. And, and I think there's, there's a little bit of a surrender that needs mm -hmm. to happen, uh, yeah. that, that, uh, psychedelics are, are good at teaching you. And, um, because you know even when i i would play music like if i play math harp like some people really don't like math harp i mean it's like that like if i start playing yeah. um my mom hates it uh she thinks it's it sounds like a mosquito so uh <laughs> there there is there is um you know yes there's cultural differences there's some things that are hard uh, uh i think psychedelics help um maybe get get through those kind of stepping back and seeing it with different eyes different perspectives um which also helps us connect together uh but if i yeah it you know you could see some morphing or adaptation or metamorphosis of maybe even those ceremonies 
through the years to kind of adapt to the different cultures. I mean, I've seen that with with uh, Native Americans running a Waska ceremony. They would blend, you know, their culture with the, you know, the what they call the 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 songs from the medicine of the north with the songs from the medicine of the south, and and the blend and the harmony that they bring is beautiful. Um, and there's definitely an art uh, and an evolution that I, I think is going to happen you know, over the years. And, and then there's a whole other controversial subjects of like, you know, if you talk about mushrooms, like who owns the mushrooms? Everybody can grow mushroom. Like what tradition do you actually follow when you run a mushroom ceremony? I mean, there's, there's some very strong traditions that you have to honor and are important to honor and give credit to the indigenous uh, people that have actually helped uh, bring forth uh, that understanding. But, you know, if there's plants that are freely available and you can connect with that plant, how is that developed? Who owns it? Knowing that each of us is like a trillion ancestors, <laughs> more we each have more ancestors than, than there's people alive on Earth today. Like, who do you tap into? What do you tap into? Like, we're all, we're all connected. Like it's, it's, and so part of me believes that people should also be empowered to work with the medicine in a way that's um, maybe aligned with, with them, with them. And, um, but, you know, if they want to follow a tradition, uh, follow the tradition, but it's important to honor it and not steal (laughs) blatantly from that tradition too. There's a lot of controversy around that as well, if that makes sense. This makes total sense, and it brings up a fascinating point. So, previously, you had you had mentioned that you had done a lot of work with startups, and yeah. you know, and, and in a in a way, Leadership Delux is kind of a startup, right? And you're talking about retreats, and we're talking about startups in in the in the in the world of tech, or in, yeah. it could be the world of anything. But I'm curious to what you're learning about being a leader, like. There's two, it seems to me there's a dichotomy here. Like, who owns mm-hmm. the mushroom? Nobody. Who owns all the patents? Microsoft. You know, like what you know, it, I think that there's something there. And maybe that is about your 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 leaving and coming back for into the cave or the prodigal son, whatever metaphor you want to use. Maybe the idea of leadership is changing. And I'm wondering with what you're doing now, what you've seen and what you're doing now, has your idea of leadership changed? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've come to see, I used to be really hard on leaders, mm-hmm. uh, especially leaders in, in companies, because um, I always thought it was like, wow, we can do better. You can really stand up and treat your people better. Um, and, you know, not, you know, I'm not saying what, what's happening from right. a leadership perspective in the corporate world is the right thing, but I'm now I'm seeing them more as, as people, human that are in a, in a system and they're trying to survive and they've got the same mental health problems that we have and, and those mental health problem that they're not even aware of trying to bring it to, to our conversation. Um, so being a leader in our society right now is, is really really hard but i'm seeing like glimmers of hopes you know like people um uh, there's a show called the leadership leadership launchpad that talks about leadership 2.0 um by my friend rob kalvarovsky i believe 
Um, and he talks about, you know, that more heart-led leadership. Uh, and I, and I think that's, that's really the big thing for me is I, I always had some doubts before about the validity of heart led leadership because I didn't see that around me because mm-hmm. that's not what I saw in the people that succeeded. And I didn't have role models that are hard led leader. And, and in fact, if, if I can point to a problem in the society is we don't necessarily have heart-led leaders that enough of them anyway that we put on pedestals. The people we put on yeah. pedestals are, you know, the the Jeff Bezos. The Satya tries to be heart-led, uh, you know, head of Microsoft and and show that. Uh, but like, not not all of them like try to show that heart-led leadership. Um, you know, like what's the the chicken and the and and in the egg is like it's the society that's honoring that, so we put that, or you know, do we construct a, a society where then somehow we artificially honor that and then people become that? I don't know, but like I I, I want to see mm-hmm. more heart led leader, and what I've realized through my show is, no, there's this heart led heart led leadership is very valid. In fact, you know, you you develop better better teams, better products, uh, more healthy relationship this way. Uh, people stay longer, which right now it's, it's kind of an issue where, you know, the younger generations switch jobs all the time, uh, make it more about people. Um, like there's, there's so many benefits to, to that. And also, you know, the other aspect in leadership that I, I found out, uh, I don't really find out, but it was more like a, a gut feeling that, you know, reading books and all that, like in tech companies, we're always like, you know, how can we create? How can we innovate? Uh, mm. You've got examples with Elon Musk that, you know, um, yeah, he innovated with Tesla. You know, they, they have a lot of innovations, but I'm, I'm not looking closely, but I haven't seen a lot of innovations from Tesla in the last 10 years. Uh, but then at the same time, he loves to say, you know, work 60 hours a week or here's the door. Uh, the thing is, if if you can't let people be humans um, and live and enjoy life, you're going to stammer their innovation. You you're you know at work, and so you know as a leader, it's really important to be able to help your your people grow as, as humans as well, because that's when you get innovation. So the Secret Creativity Retreat for me is also really important from a leadership perspective because mm-hmm. it's it's reconnecting us with that authentic creativity, the one where we're a little naive, there's, there's no boundaries, yeah. and we explore like crazy things. And we explore crazy things that could lead to the transporter, could lead to, you know, the... The, the the communicator from Star Trek you yeah. know, that inspired the phone. Like, you know, and and we need to bring that back because the stuff that's happening now, you know, I I, I love working with all the AI stuff right now and, and feeling the boundaries of it. Uh, but it's a, a lot of it is just a natural evolution and it's a lot of, of people kind of following each other in lockstep mm-hmm. and, and doing a little bit of an arms race with AI. Um, is it innovation or is it a natural ev- uh, uh, evolution? Like it, sometimes people want to leapfrog things and and uh, move faster with innovation. And I don't think you can do that if you're treating people like machines, if you're if they have no life outside of work, if the solution to everything is packing more into your day, if you can't get into those flow states with your kids and your family, you're not going to be able to innovate 
you're just going to be able to to have a bunch of of stuff that's evolving naturally that probably just lacks that human warmth there you go <laughs> yeah that was beautiful you know it's it's almost like what what i forgot that i can't think of this word what there's almost like a symbiosis that we're we're leaving out you know when you think about like the small fish that lives by the sea anemone and, and he's allowed to stay there because he brings in other stuff and the enemy can yeah. eat it. Like you could take that small fish away from that anemone and, and put him in a tank. Finding but Nemo. Then he's, yeah, yeah. Okay. And but what happens when you take him from that environment that's that's symbiotic? Like he, he gets he loses weight. Like he's still alive, but he loses weight and he becomes less active and he probably lives a shorter lifespan. And it seems to me like we as society have gotten away from the very things that make our life worthwhile. And those things that make worthwhile is like family and um, exploration and curiosity. And without those things, we don't have innovation. And I, I, yeah. Peter Thiel brought up a really good point that said, we haven't had any innovation for a long time. You know, he's famous yeah. for that quote that says, we were promised flying cars and we got 120 oh. characters, right? Like, and yeah. I think we're getting back to that. But when I see what you're doing with, with Leader Delix and when you speak on the way in which you think leadership was changing, well, it was awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's what we need. Like, we're not going to go anywhere. We're stagnating. And you can see it in the economy. You can see it with the authoritarianism. You can see it with all these things. Like, people don't have any ideas to – it seems that the people don't have a whole lot of ideas to move us forward. Yeah, well, the, the scary thing is that it's moving even faster. Uh, it, it's, um, you know, I'm, uh, so in, in the 90s, that's when I did my, my first startup in 95, when the internet was like really starting to boom and, um, and it was moving fast then. I mean, I felt like it was moving fast. You had new companies all the time, new tech right. all the time. Um, and you know you could still absorb it though you could still absorb it uh maybe it was my age but i, I could still <laughs> absorb it then um i'm looking at what's happening with ai now um and and following that closely because from a creator perspective yeah there's huge opportunity and there's also huge threat um and and uh it's impossible to absorb everything that's happening right now. It's yeah. moving so fast. Um, it's incredible. I was looking at some of the announcements from NVIDIA last week, Adobe. So NVIDIA is like, they've got like text to video. Uh, Adobe mm -hmm. is like all kinds of fancy um, uh, add-ons that they're going to start bringing into their tools that are really high quality. Like, and... And I use, I mean, I, I, I started using uh, ChatGPT as an assistant, um, but it, it's still, it's moving too fast. And, and you know, I always said that when I build products and we were like thinking, how often should we release things is there's a, there's a certain level that people can absorb things. And if you release it too fast, they get into a state where they can't really absorb the depth of the great product that you've released. Uh, so you have to find what's that sweet spot where, you know, I'm releasing often, I'm releasing something great, uh, but it also gives time for people who are using the product, who are using the technology to absorb it and realize how the world changes as a result. Um, 
So it's really crazy. I would say, you know, people, you know, slow the fuck down in general. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just another, you know, I'm holding my my cup of tea here that actually this, this I made in, in pottery class. But I had this uh, insight once during a, a psychedelic ceremony is like even when you drink a cup of tea, you know, and you pull it from the table, you've got a journey that goes from the table to your mouth. And and so you you want to bring it straight from the table to your mouth. But what do you what if you just stop in the middle? What if you just stop there and feel just feel how that cup feels in your hand? You know the just just appreciate the moment. Feel where you're at right now when when you're drinking this cup of tea. Feel how it smells. But just stop there. And then just, you know, resume your shit after that. But, you know, stop for a moment. It's like, just get, just get that, just get that moment. And, and I think people need more moments like that where you have got plenty in the morning. It's part of my rituals, but there's, there's those moments where you just slow down. And I think it will help the whole, whole world. It will actually help the world move in a better direction and probably innovate even faster with bigger things by by slowing down okay i'm gonna push back i disagree i think that we should accelerate it i think we should move (laughs) faster (laughs) like i think they both lead to the same area though like there's too many like how do you want to there's too many people controlling ideas there's too many people that are gatekeepers and chat gpt and ai circumvents that and it allows people that have never had access to really powerful tools to use them and there's gonna be tons of people that don't use them there's going to be tons of people that get pushed out of the way, but that's a nest. That's a necessity. Like we need that to grow. And the reason I think we're here is because we've had this stagnation and I can, what do you think are some of the problems with, with accelerating? I don't understand. Oh, uh, no, when I'm saying slow down, I, I, well, there's a few things I'm saying okay. slow down to is, um, you're you're still going to end up in the same well no you're not going to end up in the same place i say be more mindful right um it's and chaotic times i guess are are necessary uh but i would say slow down as individuals to make better right. decision on the whole Agreed. um and and yes if i look at chat gpd what i know of tech is those things are tend to get released before they're ready uh, and they tend to use people as guinea pigs to test things out. Um, and, and so, you know, when I talk about slowing down is, is rather than having a hundred years of evolution, um, in six months, which, you know, it, it's, it's great, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, like I've been banging my head on the stable diffusion wall, trying to do some storytelling with it. And, a lot of people are going to be angry at me and telling me I don't know what to do, but you know, it's, it's a little bit unstable. Um, and, and it's got a lot of issues and sure you can play with it and, and fuck around and, and, you know, have a glimpse of the future and feel very powerful and all that. This is great. Um, but I also like quality. I also like quality of craftsmanship Mm. and, and I think, quality of craftsmanship demands that, you know, people slow down sometimes. And uh, so it's a balance. I don't think there's, there's a right solution. It's going to accelerate, 
however way, you know, I think on an individual basis, you can slow down, spend more right. time in craftsmanship. Um, I, I, I just would hope that the products that come out are high quality. Uh, I'm going to try mm. to use chat GPT today, mm. uh, yesterday and the day before, and they have a prompt on there. Oh, we noticed there's some issues with our accuracy uh, with chat GPT-4. Uh, we're investigating. That's been there for the last three days. I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I know you're in a hurry to release all that stuff, but, you know, maybe if you just wait another few months. Oh, no, no. Marketing is is ready to, like, push this. And they, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I just know how those things work. Yeah. And... I, and a lot of times we have total control over the timelines and to and way more control than we think we have in a in a corporation or in a company and always if i had to choose between going faster and slowing down i would say slow a little bit and release something better quality because we do have control over this this is our product and we've built like it that. from the ground up and, and so that that's where I, I strike the balance between the two. And that and and you can probably assimilate all the changes that are happening. Uh, and and many of the people that are really excited about those changes can, but the mass of the population uh, can't. And and to your point, it's also very empowering. I also love how empowering yeah, these yeah. changes are because it's allowing me to do things I would need a team to do uh, before. Uh, what does that mean for that team I didn't hire? Well, I wouldn't have hired it anyway because I don't have the money to hire them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, but then the, the the flip side to all this, I talked about the threats, the extension yeah. and the threat as a creator, which is also a really important point. Um, I love having an assistant that I can iterate with really quickly on creative projects it's almost like being a creative art director and you mm. go back and forth using either mid-journey or stable diffusion and and you can even train it with your own art and and so as an artist you're still able to influence that and not just be you know the the guy and and wally on a wheelchair that says hey you know <laughs> give me this this perfect thing and I've got it, and I really didn't do any work. So you, you, yeah. you know, it's still it's still work. Yeah. Now, the the threat is it puts us in a state um, which I can project in the future with the mix of um, you know VR headset reading the brain waves. Mm. All the technology is there. Like it, it just needs to be integrated. It's like you have a VR headset, you can read your brain wave, and I can basically build a world for you that is exactly what you want for your demographics for you know based on your brain wave and you can just live in that and um and it's it's that ultimate feedback loop and at that point mm. I'm, I'm a little bit worried but i also have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> i'm just like i could project things one way or another i was like well this this is great you're basically creating everything you want to be as a human and you're able to see the breadth of what you can create but then who's the director who's controlling that story that you're creating like back to that story example are you really yeah. writing your own story and who has control over that but to your point of like who has control over the the, the power um yeah 
that's an interesting feature. But that technology of like uh, reading EEG brainwaves plus VR headset plus manufacturing 3D worlds, it's happening. I mean, NVIDIA announced like a, a text to 3D mm-hmm. already. Uh, the the brainwave reading, you've got OpenBCI that has a lot of uh, EEG headsets that you can get and basically use as a... Uh, brain computer interface that's happening already and the headsets i mean they've they've been there for a while they're just going to get smaller and so now we just need somebody to do the work and maybe we'll even have chat gpt do the work because now you have people programming chat gpt to to write like the latest thing i saw a guy programming chat gpt to write flappy birds (laughs) and it's like anyway it's it's it is it's amazing um you had spoken to me briefly. Are you okay on time? Because I'm a. I'm I can okay. Keep ta- okay. If you keep you, talking, that's a good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll keep talking too. If you keep. Yeah, talking. I know me too. So, we had recently spoken a little bit about um, the the idea of psychedelics and brain mapping. You yeah. know, I've spoken to some people that are um, sort of uh, life hackers in a way, like they're trying to find a way in order to find optimum levels of functioning and they're using psychedelics to do it and you can see it in yeah, athletics yeah. a little bit like you see people coming out and they'll go on a retreat and they'll visualize the game and they'll watch film and then they'll go through the motions or some people like to practice martial arts on a lower dose and yeah. you know, there's this other avenue that i think it kind of branches off leadership in a way this use of psychedelics and, and brain mapping we could get into the the health of it too but what do you think about um psychedelics um brain mapping leadership and performance well uh so so brain mapping is the process in which they uh people uh, do a eeg rating of their brain waves and those can be like really high resolution so we did this in in peru um and we had like medical grade eeg machines uh and we did it before the ceremonies and then we did it after the ceremonies and the workshops so we had a baseline and we could compare that is awesome. to the baseline uh, it was fantastic and i kept them also really clearly separate because i don't like to and i'll get to that but i didn't want to mix electronics in like ceremony rooms or you know getting in the way of the natural explorations of things so so we kept that separate um and you know like so people would would put a headset with like 19 electrodes on and and for 45 minutes um they would get their their brain waves recorded in a in a calm state with eyes open eyes closed and then they would answer a psychological questionnaire and and this was using software from uh, a company named new mind software uh and working with a friend who's an ex-marine in in peru who uh basically started a company called neuro enlightenment that works with um retreat centers uh to to provide this service really great guy he w- he was on the podcast his name is Luke Jensen uh and so we we read we we got this analysis read the brain waves and it was fantastic because with the psychological questionnaire the results i got that we got that each guest got was very unique to each person which is obvious but you know seeing that uniqueness in the brain wave reading uh was fantastic like you could see when they had parts of their brain that was overworking uh, to compensate for other areas of their brains, and I'm not, I'm not the professional here. Like I wish I, I 
could have my own machine to do this and and all that and um but you know like you could see things that that were due to imbalances due to unhealthy patterns like like one guest um she had had some brain trauma earlier in her life so part of her brain was compensating for that um and and then we we actually shared that information with the healer the shipibo healer um and during a ceremony he went behind her uh, ayahuasca ceremony and he kind of put his hand there i think that's what she said and uh, he uh he kind of, I don't know, blew or did something or a song or something. He did his magic, uh, his healing. Um, and then she was like, wow, I, I kind of felt some some pressure being released. And, and a lot of times in those experiences, you don't necessarily know if you imagine something or if it really happened. It's like, well, it's like, did I make that up? Um, and, and then we did the follow-up uh, uh, brain map. And we could see like an improvement in her brainwave patterns, more of a normalization around that area so that, you know, one area of her brain wasn't compensating for that area where she'd had some uh, earlier trauma. Uh, and, and across all our guests, we could measure uh, brainwave normalization. So like a, a more healthy patterns in the brainwave uh, and then brain uh, plasticity uh, and, and which... I don't know exactly how they measured that, but they did. And and for um, for all of them, we saw 30 to 50% improvement in, in both of those areas, which is huge. Um, now, what's interesting is, is uh, a few months later, there was an article that came out, a scientific article that actually explained how neuroplasticity improves uh, with DMT, which is... Um, I won't go into the detail, but if people look up neuroplasticity and DMT, you, you can find this article everywhere, I think, now. Because everybody in the psychedelic industry was like, hey, told you so. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, that that's great. Now, for the, the biohacking part, like for us, the big question is, before I get to biohacking, the big question is, is it sustainable? Uh, and it, it's really hard for us to measure that because everybody goes back to their places, you know, their country, and, and you know, we don't send them home with a $7,000 uh, brain mapping machine. Uh, so so we, we, don't, we don't know. I mean, I see them through integration. We, we keep doing some integration together, and they're all doing well, but a, a lot more um, uh, kind of level-headed, calm, and actually good things are happening in their lives. And, and so I'm like, I'd like to think some of that remained um but and then the biohacking i always had like i don't know not a love hate but i always had fun with the biohacking because the word hacking for me was always a struggle it's like you know i would hack my computers i would overclock my computers to go beyond what they were designed to do i would add a cooling system to my computers to go beyond what they were designed to do and for a lot of people, and I don't think that's the biohacking community, but for a lot of people, just reaching the level that which they should operate at, I don't even call that biohacking. It's like get some good sleep, eat healthy, and that's probably the most important thing. Um, those kind of get mixed up together sometimes. But then you've got you know the, the people who are really trying to tweak things, kind of like the, the gamers who are trying to get the, the best uh, machine. And, 
I mean, I, I've, I've done it, you know, it's, uh, and, and I enjoy it. Um, I don't do it often because I don't like to be dependent on outside things. Um, and, and one of my best friends who was my coach, Sean McCormick, who runs the optimum performance podcast. I mean, it's, it's all about biohacking and, you know, he would tell me about all those hacks and everything. And yeah, it's not always for me. Sometimes it's just like simple life, you know, just give me a walk in the forest and, um, how, how many things do I want to learn? But you, you brought martial arts. Um, I did a yoga class the day after I did, uh, I didn't teach it. I took it the day after I did an ayahuasca ceremony. It was one of my best yoga classes ever. I was in the flow. Uh, I just could connect with everything. Uh, so I can, I can see the draw there. But again, I would say, you know, like, what's your intention, you know, and, and yeah, there's a lot of philosophical and even the spiritual journey as a biohacker within yourself. Like, what are you trying to achieve that, that you don't have? Is it a state you want to have all the time? I think about that for music, for example, I feel like I play awesome music when I'm on psychedelics, but do I want to rely on psychedelics to play awesome music all the time? I don't know. No, probably not. That, that'd be exhausting. I, I kind of get tired. Uh, so after playing six hours on mushrooms, you're like, okay, I'm a little old for this, but yeah. You're still there? Yeah, I'm here. I, I had a, muted my mic because I had a guy mowing the lawn out here. <laughs> oh, hey, me too. I've got uh, Thursdays, the uh, yeah. air blower guys. And I'm like, uh, yeah, we could talk about having to record and noise pollution there's there's a there's a few blooper reels i have where i'll go out in nature <laughs> and i'll try to record something oh my god it's like airplanes airplanes yeah. airplanes and when it's not airplanes i've got crazy squirrels and then when it's not the crazy squirrels i've got crows and uh gardening and garbage trucks and oh, my god. noise yeah. pollution is another big thing it is and in some ways I've had that exact same thing happen. And I think anybody who's creating content has has come along this avenue and seen these this pollution or these sort of things that happen. And it always makes me realize, wow, I really notice all these things now. Do I normally not notice all those things? <laughs> like that's a lot of things happening. What are the chances? And then I'm like, chances are probably pretty good. It probably happens all the time. Oh, yeah. We've, it's another thing we've become desensitized to. I tried yeah. to explain it to my yeah. wife. She's like, well... It really seems to trigger you, honey. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get my message across. And I've just noticed that every, you know, every 20 seconds, there's an airplane that flies above my head. Uh, or, you know, that there's this truck or we can hear this highway or this. You, you don't pay attention to it. Um, and maybe silence is unsettling for some people. Uh, that's, that's another thing. Silence is the ultimate truth, I think. Yeah. But there's a there's an interesting corollary about having an interruption, whether it's a squirrel or a plane or a garbage truck. You know, a lot of the times when you're thinking, at least for me, I find what I used to th what I used to deem as task irrelevant thoughts when I'm focusing, and that's kind of similar to an interruption even though it's not. You know, do you know what I mean by that? Like you'll be trying to do, I'll try, I'll be doing my dishes and then I'll think like, 
man, I should get rid of my cat over here. He's wasting all the food. And like that has nothing to do with doing the dishes, I thought. But in reality, the more you pan back, and this is something I thought about on one of the yeah. later trips that I had, is like, what about these, these task-irrelevant thoughts when you're focusing? And then I came to the conclusion, like, there's no such thing. Like, every yeah. thought is the next thought in the process yeah. of getting the thing done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Buddhism has a lot to say about that, too, mm -hmm. is, is kind of just watching without yeah. judging uh, yeah. the, the flow of thoughts. Because uh, there's, there's a lot of judgment that we tend to put on that. I mean, I put a yeah. lot of judgment on the plane going overhead because I'm, I'm just trying to do a recording and, and I'd like it to be good quality. But um, if that didn't happen, uh, there's actually a... a an interesting example about noise is, is we were uh, doing a team building. Uh, so last June, we were doing team building in Peru. I went down because we hadn't worked uh, together since the beginning of the pandemic. And I wanted um, my friend Kunti and, and our healer, my friend Jose and, and uh, Luke, who does the brain mapping. I wanted us to do ceremonies together. So we did a, an ayahuasca ceremony. And then we did a, a mushroom ceremony the next day. Uh, and there's, there's a lot to say there. But um, the, the mushroom ceremony, what happened is, is we were in, um, in a, a private home. Like we didn't have a full-blown retreat center. It was only, you know, four of us. So we were in a, in a private home in the, in the Sacred Valley in the countryside. And that home was right next to a, a family. They're, they're probably like a farming family. We have the dad, the mom. I think they had like three kids, some chickens and all that. Like we were right next to them. And so we start the ceremony. And usually when you do a ceremony like that, you want everything to be quiet. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're focused on, on kind of your thoughts on the inside. And, uh, and then the, the guide plays some music or sings medicine songs. And uh, we could hear everything the, as the whole family was going through all the phases of an, an evening uh, as, a, as a family. And I was leading the ceremony, the mushroom ceremony. And, and at first, I was like, wow, how am I going to deal with this? Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play some music and I hear, you know, like kids screaming at each other. I, I've got the parents screaming at the kids. Uh, and I was like, you know what? There's much part of the ceremony as we all are here. And how do you bring harmony to that? How do you embrace it? How do you embrace the, the, their movement along with what we had? And um, it ended up being one of the most beautiful ceremonies, you know. And, and the highlight was when after, you know, all the, the, the infighting before dinner, uh, fighting during dinner that the family had, like we heard the kids giggling together. Uh, in the middle of, you know, our, you know, deep mushroom experience. And I was playing harmonica and really just, I was playing for them uh, just as much as the people in the room. And, and so I think, you know, a lot of times it's like, how do you, and you know, embrace those noises? Like I, when I do my recordings, I, I really can't embrace the planes, maybe the squirrels, maybe the, <laughs> the crows and maybe the natural things, but the... Planes is just really hard. Um, 
but like that with that family it was all about embracing this and i i think you know you whether it's thoughts too thoughts that get in your mind it's like how do you embrace that how do you watch it and and find harmony in it um yeah yeah that 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 is something i've noticed on psychedelics too it for me it changes the nature of relationships and it seems to me most of my life and maybe it's the schools i went to or the family that i grew up in or the way in which the western world embraces linguistics that we have we're surrounded by the subject object relationship right and and it it seems to be a dynamic that is uh, lacking and when on psychedelics you're given the opportunity to be the observer whether it's the observer of your thoughts, whether it's the observer of how you used to be, whether it's the observer how things could be, you know, and it, it's it's like this gift. And when you when you explain to me while leading the ceremony, you were trying to understand how you were going to incorporate this. The way that you explained it to me was like a bird's eye view. So I got the idea that you were the observer, yeah. and I think you can take that lesson back. That's one of those ones you get to bring back from the mountaintop. It's great for parenting. Uh, <laughs> totally. uh it's uh it's it's funny because i, I have like uh, two boys and a girl and and when my boys were younger they would uh, fight together like little bear cubs you know it's part of the natural <laughs> growth of boys um but i would kind of get trapped in that as as a dad because you know like steve jobs used to decri- describe his kids as like little pieces of your heart that are running around i think but it's like when you have little pieces of your heart that are fighting with each other like it's really hard you kind of get pulled in emotionally and and sometimes it's you know it's hard not to get caught up um and uh like with psychedelics it's it's like no like i can watch this and and step back and watch it like i'm watching a a tv show in a way Mm -hmm. and and not get pulled in and and make maybe more rational decisions this way um and they try to teach you that i remember i went through yoga training and and uh, we had a a really good teacher um guest teacher his name was chivito and he he lives in the in the forests uh next to seattle great guy um it's all about connecting with nature and and he he had us kind of hold uh hold an ice cube in our hands and is like you know as as you're holding an ice cube in your hand it's cold like yeah. you're you're feeling the cold and you give us this exercise of like okay can you step back and instead of just feeling it like watching it like being able to to take that bird's eye view of like what's going on right now. And I, I wasn't really good at it then um, because I didn't really know, I think, what what it should feel like. But with the, the psychedelic experience, like I, I felt it. I felt it. I, and then I could take that back with me afterwards. I, I, a lot of times it's about, it's in those experiences, like what can you take back? And there's always something. Sometimes there's too much for you to remember. Like with, with ayahuasca journeys, mm-hmm. I mean, you get full downloads. It's so much. I mean, I, I came to a point where I was like, just remember three things. Like, what, are, <laughs> what are those three things I want to take take away from the journey? And, and sometimes it was just like one thing where it's like, you know, like one day it was like, I went to a friend right after the ceremony. I was like, oh my God, it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> It's so true, man. And uh, it, it just gave me a whole new perspective on Doctor Who. 
um and uh but you know that there's so many things there but it's like it's the one thing i decided to carry forward so are are some of these things whether it's holding an ice cube or whether it is um other types of of storytelling interactive activities are these things that you do when you lead ceremonies yeah, yeah. I mean, the storytelling, it's a big part of ceremonies. I mean, I, I learned this from um, uh, the attending Native American ceremonies, like storytelling for them is, is huge. I mean, that's been a huge part of how they've they've transferred history and knowledge. Right. Um, and so always love that aspect. I, I try to bring it, you know, when whenever I have a, a ceremony at, at the beginning and, and at the end. Um uh, the holding an ice cube, I don't make anybody hold the ice cubes, but <laughs> I, I do try to have them, um, as I said, learn with their heart uh, and not their, their mind and like how things feel. So like, you know, if you, if you take the harmonica, for example, you could go on YouTube and you could watch tons of videos that will tell you how to play a harmonica, how to hold the harmonica, how to mm -hmm. blow in the harmonica, how to do all those things with the harmonica. And, and then you'll go through all that. And then maybe after that, you'll become a really good harmonica player. Or you can come to my workshop and come to the retreat. And I'll be like, screw all this. You know, take your harmonica, hold it however you want. <laughs> stay in one spot. Just stay there. Just don't go anywhere and just start blowing in it. Just but. Be familiar with the breath. Just study the breath mm. as you go in it. Take your time. Take, you know, and it's like, I don't know if this comes across, but I've got my harmonica here and it's like. And this was just like, I'm not holding it right. I'm not, you know, putting my lips on it the right way. I'm not doing anything right. What I'm doing right is I'm just like feeling the breath going through it and, and just letting it unfold. And, and so I tell people, I was like, just, just start there. And, you know, once you actually add the psychedelic ingredient on top of that and you've just started there, it's just like, psh everything just like you're like oh wow i have all those you know parts between my lungs and my mouth that i can actually reshape and change how things sound and you know i can you know and then you can go crazy like i, I go crazy it's like wow i can change the reality around me with, with the <laughs> harmonica and um but yeah, no, learn with your heart. That's what I try to, to tell people. And I, I don't do the ice cube thing, but, you know, I do a lot of learning with your heart. And the psychedelics help amplify uh, that experience of, of learning with the heart and seeing things with a different perspective, too. It's a fascinating way to introduce breath work into someone's, right? Like, I'm like, wow, that, that is a great way to, to do uh, that. Yeah, I feel like Mr. Miyagi. Um, it's like, <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, wax on, wax off, you know. Um, it, it, it actually came through a really hard lesson. Um, it, was, it was early, uh, just before COVID, actually February of 2020, I think, is, is when COVID started. 
uh, went down to Peru and uh, there was five of us we uh, in in a in a temple we were going to do an ayahuasca ceremony we were all experienced maybe four of us we were all experienced and uh, we decided to do a massive amount of of uh, uh, ayahuasca uh, which you know like for most people it'd be like you know a shot glass but you know the, like it's just the size of my cup of tea here and and uh, that was a mistake and there's many other mistakes that mm. led to that i mean we kind of got up and uh, got caught up in, in and and people were with me or listening probably would argue well it wasn't a mistake it was just you but you know i i got caught up <laughs> in this and, and i i should have pushed back and uh i didn't push back and and you know i went ahead and i had that huge cup of ayahuasca mm -hmm. um but it was excruciating it was a terrible terrible experience i had to actually leave the the ceremony room and go into the storage closet which was right next to the ceremony room where they store all the mattresses suck earplugs on and i just felt like this uh my brain being grounded in, mm. in darkness and I, it was very painful and i was swearing like a french sailor and i really <laughs> didn't like the acaros then uh but you know it was all all me and you know like it taught me how to be responsible along the way for all the decisions i make um but like all i had with me was the harmonica and mm. and i just started all i could do is i had the breath i had my breath this was just me mm. and my breath and I didn't even have enough thought to form a musical notes chained together. It was me, my breath, and the harmonica. So I just stuck the harmonica in my mouth and started breathing through it. And it just started calming my breathing. I just, just started long inhale, long exhale, long inhale. And and that helped. It, it formed that lifeline in the darkness, that white line that I could, mm. you know, hold on to. Yeah. And I was like, you know, this this is the this is my medicine. This is gonna, what I'm going to teach people. This is what I'm going to help them with. Um, is just finding that um, serenity in the breath. And it's not even like advanced breath work. Like yeah, I don't even have any advanced techniques. It's like just feel it feel it and you know going in and out of your body and and feel how you can create with it too like a lot of people are afraid to to sing mm. and so using something like a harmonica gives them the ability to create with their breath without actually putting themselves out there with their voice which for a lot of people it's been pushed down and 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 so the harmonica is also a good step stone and so part of the workshop is to help them find their their voice and so the harmonica is a good step stone to reconnecting with your ability to create and to to reconnect with with the power of your breath and and to eventually uh, sing that's that's awesome that's a great story i am i i i think about breath a lot maybe it's because i I'm a big fan of psychedelics and altered states of consciousness and, and thinking. And I, I'm curious when you said it helps people find their voice and it, it, it kind of speaks to me in that people are afraid to sing. People are afraid of their voice. And then it leads me to the idea of, I think a lot of people are afraid of their thoughts. What do, do mm. you think people are afraid of their thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I think we're, we easily judge our thoughts 
Mm, uh, yeah. We judge a lot and we easily judge our thoughts. So maybe we develop some some fear of our thoughts. And um, there's also, I would say, a lot of thoughts that maybe aren't even ours because mm-hmm. we, um, we grab so much from our environment. Um, and especially if you're watching the news, there's just a lot of just negative imagery that gets shown and it's 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 your it's to tap into your instinct as your survival instinct because if you see that negative imagery you're like oh shit what's going to happen to me i need to watch mm-hmm. the news tomorrow again because it's like and, and there's studies that show that this is how the news gets you addicted to the news yep. is 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 and but then it creates this thoughts pattern those right. those patterns and we talk patterns but you 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 have those patterns that then stay in your mind uh, that, yeah, you should probably be afraid of it. Like, I'm going to use Fox News as an example again. But if you if you watch Fox News every day, you know, like two hours a day, and uh, how do you feel at the end of watching each episode? Do you feel angry? Do you feel like, how, how do you feel? And, and you could probably, all the news outlets to an extent, you could probably have you know they have sure. their own flavor of feeling uh but like how do you feel because that is a thought pattern that is getting created in in your mind like if you watch a violent movie like we're very mindful about what we watch my my wife and i because i it's like empathy like you you suck in so much mm-hmm. uh and you know, we're waiting for the scientists to tell us all that stuff is bad for us. But I'm like, I, I know it's bad. Yeah. And there's some thoughts I could be afraid of. Like, you know, uh, it's like we watched the second season of The Witcher. There's a scene where I think uh, a woman like paralyzes everyone and she sticks a pen in somebody's eye. I mean, how fucked up is that? Do I sorry for everybody who listened and now has this image in their brain, but please be glad you didn't watch the show yeah. because you could actually see it. And I'm like, how in the world do you get from being a kid who draws happy faces and, and, and you know, sees the best in the world and can create all those amazing things to ending up spending millions of dollars to creating a show that this is the one thing that you want to show? When we can do all those things as human, like should you be afraid of some thoughts afterward that pop up when you, re- you remember this thing? Yeah, probably. You should probably do some cleansing work and and you know re- read some I don't know Lord of the Rings or <laughs> you know or you know maybe something a little more um, uh, subdued. <laughs> yeah, do you think that that is like? You- there's all kinds of movies like that and people build franchises around movies like that. You know, it's, it's sinister in a way. And it's, it's the low hanging fruit of dopamine or adrenaline that people are, are, are chasing after back there. But it almost seems like that's the new economy is this economy of dopamine. It's, and it doesn't have to be bad ones, but it it seems like we're moving no, in that way. It's funny, like this this other recent reflection I I had was, and even for like social media, we're all falling into right. that trap. Right. I, I call us the the Willy Wonka Willy Wonka's of digital sugar, uh, <laughs> but it, it's all about how much sugar can I stick in my post, uh, mm-hmm. and I constantly need to increase it because everybody's palate uh, taste buds. Uh, get used to the sugar you had in the last post. 
So, you know, TikTok has the most obnoxious sugar level of sugar. Uh, you know, then, then you've got Instagram and then you've got, I would say Facebook and then you've got LinkedIn, but then, you know, within each of those channels, you've got the Willy Wonka's and, you know, Mr. Beast is the ultimate Willy Wonka there. He actually had, I, I found out he had a show where he built the whole Willy Wonka thing. And I'm like, <laughs> there's a reason for that, you know, because you're, you're the, you're the Willy Wonka of digital sugar. And, uh, <laughs> and then the movies, it's the same thing. I mean, it, it's like after Game of Thrones, which had some rape scenes in there that I never watched for that reason. Uh, it's all about like, what are those like really intense emotions we can, whew, almost dropped this door. <laughs> oh. um, uh, what are those really intense emotions we can tap into? Um, and you even like the algorithms on social media, it's really interesting because if you want to do well, find something controversial to say that's tied to one of the weaponized narratives then you get a lot of people arguing with each other on the thread and your post bubbles up. And I'm, I'm not playing that game and I, I, I will never play that game. And this, this is probably why I'm not that as successful as I'd like to be uh, on, on social media. But uh, like people have to be aware of those things. They're, they're happening. Everybody's trying to outdo each other, but it's, it's not sending us in the right direction. Um, I think it's it's really unhealthy. And when we talk about mental health, mm. it, it's not me being a, a conservative, you know, stuck up person. It's like I, I if if you see a thought that you never had before, mm -hmm. you cannot unsee that thought. It is now in your brain. And if you imagine all the thoughts that could be placed in your brain, which type of thoughts would you like? to be put in there you know like you have to be mindful this is a sacred like your brain is the most sacred thing but somehow you've got the netflix pipe hooked up to it um and with all those thoughts that are created by people that don't necessarily share your your values or your way of telling your story uh, but they're very skilled in their art like they're really really skilled um and the Mandalorian first season was, oh, God, it's just so well done. The music, the scenes, the, like it did so much. Um, it was inspired. Yeah, it, Keyword it, it, was. It was inspired. <laughs> like most things, you know, the, the, yeah. the first, the sequel is rarely equal to the original. And that it is almost money. in anything. Yeah. Yeah, I um, you know, every now and then I'll go back and I'll reread the book by Edward Bernays called Propaganda, and I think it's interesting to think that I think I could be getting this wrong, but I think on some level I don't know. I'm not going to say it. I, I think that in some levels, um, Netflix media has just piggybacked from the world of propaganda. And you spoke recently about when well, you spoke earlier about your friend that was in the advertising business. Yeah. And it's, it's almost perverse to me that some of the greatest artists and thinkers have found their ways into the world, probably through incentives into this world of advertising where they find ways to, you know, connect imagery about a product to your emotions. And it's so powerful oh, yeah. and people that are really, really good at it. You could probably make the argument that some of the best artists of the la since the 80s were 
people that were in advertising. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. Sad. I mean, yeah, the thing is, there's there's great you know, great powers, great responsibility. But as yeah. as an artist, you, you yeah. have uh, really great power. Um, it's one of the things I actually really enjoy with with real art that's been made. Um, and I do paintings as well. Uh, in fact, if, if people go on my Instagram, you'll find a, a rambling deep in there of me doing a painting during a mushroom ceremony and just nice. talking about uh, connecting uh, with art and painting uh, is about connecting with somebody else, connecting with their soul. Um, and so, you know, when Alex Gray creates an amazing painting, you're connecting with with the amazing being and that he is, that we are. Uh, every breath that he puts in the painting, every thoughts, every moment, the inspiration, his whole journey, you're connecting with that. Um, and that's really special. And as an artist, when you're you're painting and you're creating and each brush stroke, and you know, if you, I love aligning that with my breath too. So as you know, I paint, I align all, all with the breath and, but it's, it's that journey. Um, and, and you're sharing that journey with people talking about journey. If you were to use mid journey, which was one of those AI generating program, you can argue, what are you connecting with? Mm. Are you connecting with the whole of the consciousness that generated this based on your prompt or are you connecting it to like a real person what's more important to you i don't know like it, it might depend on your situation but i i think like each have their place like we have to um, honor i think that that creativity but as an artist you can take people to really dark places and there's some mm -hmm. artists that do that they're known for like dark painting dark imagery and there's people who adore that uh and you know, but there's people who bring you, you know, like fresh, beautiful, maybe a, a little too positive. Uh, but sometimes <laughs> you need that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I I love I love artists. I love creativity. I think it's it's a huge tool, and I honor that. And that's what the the retreats we we put together is for. I mean, I, I'd love to be able to have own a retreat center. That's basically a um, a home for all the creators that are looking mm. for healing. Uh, but what I mean creators is like, it's it's not just the Alex Grays or the Painted or the Chris Dyer or the Android Jones or, you know, those those visionary artists. Um, it's, it's like you and me. It's people who just picked up a harmonica for the first time or like reconnecting with them. So, you know, maybe it will happen. I'm, I'm not also married to the idea and I'm just going to go with the flow. So we'll see. Possible vision. Yeah, it, though that's usually the best method of of beginning a journey is not you know high expectations make pretty poor travel companions. Is what I found. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm curious, Lyle. So, you know, we we talked a little bit about um, being at the height of a psychedelic experience, or or moving through the environment of a psychedelic experience, or beginning to understand the space. And you had mentioned that. On, on Instagram somewhere, there's a picture of you painting while while in the midst of an experience. Yeah. I've, I've often found, I've experimented with different ways to bring things back because I, I do think that's where the gold is, is getting to a level where you're comfortable and you can, 
you found that right dose or that right time or the right diet, or wh whatever it was that got you there, you're able to grab hold of something and bring it back with you, <laughs> you know, and whether it's through, through painting or sometimes I'll have a, my, my phone and I'll try to record yeah. my thoughts, you know, and whatever I can. And there's times where it just comes back as garbled nonsense, but then there's times where you bring back an idea. One of the ones I've, I've tried to do it is by recording myself. Yeah. Is there tools that you use or do you have oh, any yeah. techniques that you have found where you can like grab a net and bring stuff back? Yeah, with you? that's funny. When you say that, that always reminds me of, a, you know, when I don't know if that ever happened to you, but when you're a little kid and you're first kind of acknowledging your, your dreams or and and uh, I had those dreams. I don't know if it was money or something. There's something <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed yep. in my dream. Yep. And I was I like, oh. I'm going to hold on to it because I know yep. I'm going to wake up and I want to have it yep. with me when I wake up. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, I love those dreams. Yeah. Uh, and every time I was disappointed when I got up, of course, uh, but I look at my closet. Is it in there? Ah, <laughs> oh, dang <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so what do I need to do to bring it back? Yes. It felt so real. Um, yeah. and so, you know, what, what's nice with, with psychedelic, uh, journeys is, is you can actually, do things while, while you're having those experiences. Yep, agreed. Um, uh, painting is, is one of the things that I enjoy doing and usually in kind of the second half of, of a journey because the first half, usually it's a little bit too intense, but right, the, right. the second half, uh, and depending on when you do it in the journey, you've got different results. Um, and, you know, I've done some experiments where it was me and another person uh, on the second half uh, we had a huge canvas and we would uh, rotate the, the the canvas every five minutes. Uh, and because we had no ego associated with with what we were doing and we were in the moment, uh, we just went with the flow, whichever side we got. And and the painting we ended up with, I've got I've got it I've got it behind me in the in, in the stairway. It's just fantastic. I mean, it's like I look at it all the time and I'm, it just takes me right back there. And I was like, oh, my God, um, you know, that that other painting that, you know, you, you hear me ramble for like two hours on Instagram. Uh, it's like painting with Seb. Uh, but it, it's fantastic, too. And, and, and I didn't do the entire painting there, but I just said the tone and the story and and uh it ended up being a, a phoenix and and it's it's I, i'd like to think it's nice and i've shown it to other people and they think it's nice um uh, uh the other thing is sketching so i always have a sketchbook with mm -hmm. me um and i recently tried that because i didn't know if i could actually do it during an ayahuasca ceremony because in, in the ayahuasca ceremonies we have the the lights are always dimmed um but somehow I opened my book, I took a pen out, and I just kind of let my hand um, try to capture the music I heard or a vision I just had. And it, it turned out pretty good. I mean, the next day I, I did that for one of our guests, something I saw when I, I looked at him. Uh, it was like a, it was a, a mushrooms with vines coming out of it and some circuit boards on top and yeah. it, it just all glowing. and. Um, and I did that for him and, uh, he loved it. And I actually took this and I actually, then I, I, uh, gave that to mid journey and I said, can you please give me a 3d rendering of that? And it did. Mm. It was fantastic. So, um, taking notes in a journal 
right after a ceremony is also like another big thing like during i don't it's like my handwriting isn't that good mm-hmm. um but after um a ceremony is great i mean the first time i did that i think i i was trying lsd i haven't done a lot of lsd but i was trying lsd for the first time because i wanted to know what's the big deal and uh and i had my sketchbook right next to me and just and and i started just watching my hand just move on it on its own and just start drawing stuff and i was like this is this is incredible (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah i mean there's there's ways to to bring things back i think songs another one if you're like playing music you can record yourself usually (laughs) you don't sound as good as you thought you did (laughs) uh afterward um but it doesn't matter. Like you, you've recorded something. There's also something to say about impermanence and, and mm-hmm. knowing that something just you can't take with you. You know, what what you experienced there was something unique, which in a way that makes you honor it even more because you can't take it with you. So it's, I think it's a balance and people should experiment um, with, you know, what what helps them in their journey. Um, sometimes you need that impermanence and that teaching that you can take everything forward. Uh, other times you need to take like a big lesson forward. And that's, that's why, you know, like when you boil it down to three, three words or three, you know, what are those three essential things? It's really hard to remember things sometimes during those journeys because you, you can live a whole lifetime in a ceremony um and and when you go through a whole lifetime of lessons in one ceremony it's like you know your brain is rewired but like what do you take forward um yeah it's it's so fascinating to me to have these moments of crystal clarity profoundness and then the next minute not remember a thing about it just desperately trying to recall it like coming yeah. this, is, this is the one thing i'm taking back yeah, this yeah. Is, i figured it out and then you're like oh what was it again yeah <laughs> but then you know again? that it's a balance because if it's you in use, there if you use the mind it. that's the tricky thing is like the mind that's being used to recall is the one that kind of gets in the way of the experience yeah. too so yeah. yeah so if 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 you're trying to recall too hard you're getting in the way of your your rest of your experiences yeah. Um, my yoga teacher used to say in meditation, which is true for psychedelic experiences, is just like, don't try to analyze it now. Don't try, right. you know, and that's first for analyzing, but like remembering is, is a little bit similar. It's like you're engaging a different part of your brain that um, I think if you write it down, it might actually be better and you can let it go and right. say, okay, now I've written it down. I can move on. I don't have to try to remember that because I've been in situations where, you know, I, I obsessed about trying to remember and it kind of, I think I missed on some of the, you know, other things I could have seen sure. on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. I know the feeling. Yeah. It's interesting. You had mentioned that, you know, there are experiences where you can live a lifetime and mm. there is this whole, you know, I think that the psychedelic experience has a way of wiping away this idea of time that we've been conditioned to. You can live, you know, there's been times where I've got to relive not only the decisions that I've made, but a life going forward based on alternate decisions. 
you know, and like, yeah. wow, that's what would have happened. Or, or let me pause it there and go from here. Like, yeah. and it's, it's so rewarding and interesting and scary a little bit to, to be collapsed back into yourself once that happens. But what, what is it about this construct of time and psychedelics deconstructing? What do, what do you think is the relationship between psychedelics and time? Oh, the illusion of time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, breaks, right? it breaks down the illusion of time, right? Yeah, it does. it's, uh, you know, I, I talk about that with my dad. He, he hasn't done psychedelics, but he really believes in, in that illusion of time. It's an illusion and it's not. I mean, there's, I think the reason we have the illusion is we have things like seasons. We have things mm. like day and night. We have things like birth and death. I mean, there's, there's moments, there's, there's points. And, and then at the same time, it can stretch, it can compress. And, um, you know, some people can think about the next year in a completely different way than you can think about the next year. Like the next year for me might look like a month uh, right. for you. Um, and so like it, it's, it depends and it, it stretches all that and challenges all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Um, it. It's funny because one of the <laughs> harmonica is. songs I play goes through an entire lifetime of a couple uh, it's a little bit like the beginning of up the movie up where uh, yeah 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 you, you i you cried in the beginning of that movie yeah me too <laughs> and, and so so the the song starts as a, a courting song where you have both sides of the harmonicas courting each other. Like, you know, you've got the, the male that comes in the picture, the female that's there, they're, they're flirting and they come together mm -hmm. and they're dancing and, you know, and, and then they have a child and, um, and, and it becomes joyful. And, and, and then, you know, as age arrives, they become a little slower and, and then eventually it's just one of the sounds that stays and and then eventually it's it's quiet and and so i love taking people through those cycles so that we can really appreciate um you know the the phases we go through and and the fact that it's also finite that you know mm -hmm. we are finite and you know finite and infinite at the same time because you know you can believe in afterlife reincarnation and all that but our current life in this body is is finite so i like to honor that as well yeah i i love the idea of the music as a story and being able to take people through it and sometimes i think that's one of many of the beautiful aspects of psychedelic experience and bringing something back you know it's it's yes. this ability of storytelling through different modalities or different insights and time is one of them i you know i it's funny, the language of time and the illusion of time. I was speaking with my daughter whose birthday is in October yeah. and I'm asking her, you know, how many sides are on a stop sign? Eight, right? It's called an octagon. Well, you're born in October. Why is that the 10th month? You know, why is December deca? Why is that 12? That doesn't seem right. Like there's all these little, you know, there's all these little illusions around us that like tell us, Hey, time is just a construct. It's this thing. Yeah. But it's it's fascinating, Sebastian. I, I cannot tell you. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I, I um, I want to say that this conversation has exceeded all my expectations. I'm really thankful for your time. <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> says about your expectations. <laughs> you should. I have like eight pages of notes. You can't see okay, my great. my my thing right here, but it's awesome. I was really looking forward to it. And uh, it's here. 
conversations are really fun for me. And when energy. I get to speak with somebody about psychedelics like this, it, it's fun. And I hope the audience enjoyed it. Before I let you go, though, you you said you may have some dates coming up for your retreat. Would you be so kind as to maybe tell people what you got coming up, where they can find you? And yeah, and... yeah. Actually, hold on. This is yeah. I absolutely. haven't announced that anywhere else yet. Um, so... All right, true life first, right here. Yeah, it's a, it's a true first here. Uh, in fact, I might get some pushback on the people who signed up for uh, a newsletter because they, they don't even know it yet. Um, uh, hopefully, those two circles will not meet. Uh, but <laughs> there's the, the, the retreat dates for next year. So our next Sacred Creativity Retreat, uh, we're actually finalizing the dates this week but i'm pretty sure they're they're going to be the dates um it's it's going to be april 9th of 2024 to april 17th of 2024 so it's 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 quite a ways away but there's this big reason for that uh one is we like to take our time um to to put those retreats together we don't do them too often uh we don't have too many guests either um, and the retreat center we used is, is really good. So it gets booked uh, a year, year ahead of schedule. Uh, and uh, we like using that good retreat center. Um, so, yeah, it's, and it's a journey. It's a journey yeah. for people to decide, oh, wow, I just heard about this, this guy who does those retreats. And, you know, you have to let it simmer in your brain there because people might not be ready yet. And then something is going to happen in their life. And, oh, yeah, that Sebastian guy, like on True Life. Yeah. Hey, George, who was that guy? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and, th and then eventually they, they reach out to me and I'm like, no, we still have spots for you. This is great. You came to the right place. Yeah. And I, 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 I would encourage everybody to go down into the show notes and check out more of what Sebastian has going on. Check out his podcast. He's got a great podcast with a lot of great guests. And as everybody who's been paying attention knows, he's really fun to talk to and cares a lot about people. And if you, if, if you listen to the words he's using and check out some of the podcasts, you'll see that when he does a retreat, that he is... 100% there with the people you're you know and some of the things that I've heard you're constantly helping people you're you're being on the journey with mm. them while simultaneously helping them through things I think you have a unique perspective when it comes to retreats you have the idea of leadership and everything combined with it so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for your time check out Sebastian check out his podcast check out the links and uh, that's all we got for today ladies and gentlemen aloha aloha thank you George yeah absolutely Right. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind. 
and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.